Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related health care to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G. This is the MLW Radio Network. This episode of Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. Now, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app to your phone, and then you're just a few finger taps away from all those great events that you want to see. And because you listen to Prime Time, you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. So, what are you waiting for? Get to it. Hello, everybody, once again, and welcome to Primetime with Sean Mooney. And we're coming off uh, a great week, a great episode, uh, a conversation that I had with Craig Minervini, or as uh, many of you knew him as Craig DeGeorge, who was an announcer back in the uh, beginning of the WWF when it was really taken off, like around 85 at that time. And uh, I have to be honest here, when... Uh, we hooked up. I, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect, and uh, we didn't really know one another when I was with the WWF slash WWE because Craig did not stick around much longer after I arrived, and we were both pretty much just starting out in our broadcasting careers at the time. Uh, Craig went on to have and continues to have a great career in sports broadcasting. Uh, he's done uh, you know, a lot of stuff with professional football and with the regional sports network down in Florida. Um, but uh, we hadn't spoken to each other in almost 30 years. Uh, we, we, you know, we didn't stay in touch. Like I said, we didn't know each other that well. But once we began talking, it was like Craig said in one of his tweets, you know, like we were, were sitting down having a beer. And I hope that it came off that way to you because it certainly felt that way. Uh, way because you know Craig has a great sense of humor and if you listen to the podcast uh, you heard what great imitations he also does especially his Marv Albert uh, someone that he admired growing up and uh, you know was really into becoming a sports broadcaster and he modeled himself after Marv. Uh, we had a great conversation it was really fun to compare notes after all these years and uh, I would love to have Craig back on someday I don't think we covered uh, and a lot of other things. And who knows, you know, with this new uh, XFL venture that Vince is, is going to get into, he might bring Craig back. As you know, he was one of the announcers for the XFL. So who knows? Down the road, uh, I'd love to have Craig Minervini back, and I want to thank him for coming on the podcast. And while I continue to have some very recognizable names, many legendary ones, uh, to me, though, folks, when it comes down to it, and I hope you're realizing this with this podcast, to me it's all about who I think is going to be interesting to talk to. You know, who's going to tell us stories about the world of professional wrestling uh, that you haven't heard before, or who brings, you know, an entirely different perspective to things that have happened, or, you know, maybe showing different sides to some of the personalities that have made huge impacts on the sports entertainment and, and professional wrestling. And my guest today uh, brings all of that to the podcast, the son of a very well-known superstar who continues to carve out his own professional wrestling career, Harry Smith, or as he's also known professionally, Davy Boy Smith. He's Davy Boy Smith's son, is going to join us. And I can tell you right now, it is a conversation 
you have never heard before uh, about his life, his father, and his connection to the famed Hart family, a very strong connection there. Uh, That's all still coming up, okay? So uh, that's on the way. But before we get there, I want to remind everybody that you can catch me on Twitter, uh, at Sean Mooney Who, which uh, many of you do. Uh, But we also, I want to tell you, uh, kind of an announcement here, we have a brand new Twitter account that we have just started. It is at Primetime Mooney, at Primetime Mooney, real easy to remember. Uh, That is the new official Twitter handle for Primetime with Sean Mooney, at Primetime Mooney. So I want you to go and follow us as soon as you can. And of course, you can always email me at primetime at mlw.com. That's primetime at mlw.com. Now, I haven't given away anything uh, for a couple of weeks. And uh, maybe you heard from uh, the the announcement that the WWE made that uh, on the network, they've now released a bunch of these Coliseum videos. Uh, As you know, I hosted many, many, many of those videos, and they're going to be on the network now. So I got to thinking, I I was thinking, I, I think I've got a bunch of these original tapes, because when they would come out, or before they would come out, they would send a box of these over to the studios. And it would have the, uh, you know, the, the jacket of, of the you know, design and the tape in it. And it, was all, it would be all wrapped up in the shrink wrap. And I don't even know if some of these are the exact jackets that they stayed with or not. But I have a whole box of them. And so what I want to do, I, I want to give one of these away. Uh, and we'll, we'll kick it off on this podcast. And uh, the one that I found, and you can see a picture once you go to Facebook, but uh, this one is WrestleFest 90. If you remember this one, WrestleFest 90, uh, a WWF wrestling extravaganza. It says Coliseum Video Presents. And, you know, of course, got all the exclusive, home video exclusive. They've got bonus includes features that can't be seen anywhere else. So they, I looked at some of the matches. They're an exclusive. Uh, let's see, they've got Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan versus Mr. Perfect. Uh, Heart Foundation takes on the Rockers at this thing. Uh, there's all kinds of great stuff on here. An exclusive profile on the Heart Foundation. Their best matches and exclusive interviews. Uh, WWF Tag Team Match. The Ultimate Warrior and Jake the Snake Roberts versus Akeem. And the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. So uh, this is awesome. So I'm going to give this away. All right? I- I'm going to give it away. And uh, I will, the winner... Uh, I will either, you know, I'll sign it if you want me to, but otherwise I'll keep it shrink wrapped. If you want to take it as a collector's item, you know, keep it pristine. Uh, I'll do that too. It's up to you. So what you have to do is just go to our Facebook page, Primetime with Sean Mooney on Facebook and like us if you haven't already. You got to like us and then look for the post. There's a picture we put up uh, with the on the page of me holding this, this uh, WrestleFest VHS tape, okay? And then uh, go on there and then just leave a comment so we'll have your name, okay? And then we're going to do just like we did with that vintage picture and we're going to give give this tape away. We'll, we'll select uh, randomly uh, somebody and you will have this, uh, you will win this tape. Like I said, I'll sign it if you want me to. If not, I will send it to you. I will not be, my feelings will not be hurt, I promise. And I will send it to you anywhere you are in the world, anywhere you are. Okay, so go to uh, Facebook, 
go to primetime with Sean Mooney and find that post and then you get in the running for this. Okay. How awesome is that? I, I would love to, you know, if uh, you know, I was collecting these things, I'd love to have this thing. And it's, it is truly vintage. It's not like a tape that was put out again. This is one of the originals uh, that, that uh, I had back then. And I want to give it to you. All right. So let's get to the main event. Ding, ding, ding. Everybody, I am really excited about uh, this program today because uh, we're going to talk to a man who comes from wrestling royalty. Uh, no doubt about it. He's part of the Hart family from Canada. And the Smith family from across the pond, as they say in England. What an incredible legacy as uh, we get into this. Uh, with that, I want to welcome Harry Smith, also known as uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. to many people in the world of wrestling. Uh, Harry, welcome to Primetime. Hey, Sean. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure. And uh, thank you also to uh, Casey. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to being on the show here. Yeah, let's talk about our producer there who's on the other end. We're talking, we're truly international today because Harry's up in Calgary, uh, and uh, we've got our producer, uh, Casey, is in uh, uh, North Dakota, and I'm out in Arizona, so we are we're covering it all today. Uh, you said it's kind of a kind of one of those, uh, I don't know, it's not a miserable day, but kind of one of those days that you're just like, boy, up, up in Calgary, the slush is out there, it's not real freezing, it's not really warm. But I, they have a lot of nice days in Calgary, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know, I'm um, I'm not OCD, but I I like to, my car to be clean. So I, because I saw that the weather Ooh, yeah. was picking up, and then I you know I washed it and stuff, and then I did some errands today, and it's all, uh, I mean, there's quite a bit of dirt to pick back yeah. up on it. So <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know what, it, it's it's better than it being cold, freezing cold and slipping on ice or anything like that. But um, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's like. Well, you know, being from back east, like what it can get, like it's, it's just kind of a bleh environment. But yeah. hopefully, it'll it'll. I mean, that's winter time. Hey. Yeah. Well, like they say, you know, you want it to rain or snow or something, go wash your car. So that's yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to you want to ruin it? Uh, just go and wash your car, and exactly. a day or so it'll be different. Uh, you're all over the world, and we're going to get into uh, some of the things you've been doing as of late. But uh, I always love to start at the beginning. And man, I, I know you've got some story to tell as i mentioned as we got into this that uh you're a big part of the hart family we know uh, just from you know Stu hart and helen and and just all of the kids and the dungeon and uh the legacy up there in canada and then also you happen to be davy boy smith's uh son uh a part of the british bulldogs uh what was it what was it like what are your first memories of having some kind of recognition of what you had been born into <laughs> Sure. Uh, you know, uh, going back a ways, um, it would have been like, cause I've always been, uh, uh, of course kids, they always like to play with, you know, their toys and stuff like that. So I was always huge into action figures. And I think that my earliest memories would have been, um, probably playing with my dad and dynamite, the old LJN figures that yeah. was the first ones that came out with. Yeah. And I, and you know, I think funny enough, they came out about the same year or two after when I was born. So um, and then, you know, I, you would see, you would see it on TV and stuff like that. I, I would have gone to some of the live events yeah. when I was younger, but I don't have a huge recollection of it. Um, yeah. just, just, uh, up until a, uh, a certain age. So it would have been, it would have definitely been the action figures, but, uh, yeah. did you tell other kids that you knew <laughs> other kids, you knew you say, well, what, what, you don't have an action figure of your dad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Really? Well, you know what? When I when I got into elementary school, because when yeah. kids would find out that I was who my dad was, you know, yeah. like I was never really the bragging type, but like another kid would be like, "Oh, you know, well, you know who his dad is," and he'd be like, "Who? Oh, you British bulldog on TV." No, that's a no lie. Way. There's no yeah. way he could be. Yeah. Shut up, you're lying. Okay, yeah. and then, and then my dad would pick me up because uh, you know he was traveling a lot at the time. Oh, in yeah. his car or something, and he'd come in and it would be like all the kids' eyes are just like w- completely wide, and and some of the teachers too. And it's like, oh, he really is telling the truth because it would have been my mom usually driving me to school, and right. not not that she wasn't famous, but to to uh, those types of people. Um, by comparison, yeah, yeah, by comparison, and just sure. the massive size of them is enough to uh, gather a little notice. Uh, yeah, we should sure. we should give a little background on that. I mean, you were born in in '85, and that was really yeah. where the beginning of the where the WWF WWE now uh, really began to crest. That that you know just started exploding, and and your dad was a part of that. Uh, I imagine when I don't know maybe six or seven when you really became a part of uh, knowing what was happening. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, like just being born into it, I was a, always a huge fan, and then. Uh, of course, being young and and seeing some of these guys, because because not only it was just it wasn't like I just knew them. Like I was a I was a huge fan myself just growing up. It was a little kid, yeah. so seeing these people in person, like Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant, it was it was intimidating. Like it, like even though they were all very nice to me, but just you know being a little kid and and seeing them backstage or in that kind of environment and just being uh, surprised at the size of some of these guys. Um, yeah. how big they were so but by the time i was about yeah like you said like about um when i was six i was over for wembley stadium and then uh i got to travel with my dad a little bit around that time and then uh i would have been i would have remembered you at some of the events they would have done at the tampa sundome yeah down there oh, yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah so i would yeah i gra- gradually got to to uh be more comfortable with with people back there <laughs> And um, so, yeah, so I'm thinking you were about I don't know seven when that uh, Wembley show took place in '92, and uh, what many to this day believe is one of the greatest matches that uh, ever took place in the in the history of the WWF. I want to talk about that uh, as we get into this today because uh, that certainly uh, there was a lot going on then, but. Yeah. Uh, we we were talking about you know you grew up in Calgary and all anybody has to do is listen to you when you when you say a boat you know that uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that was the, the Canadian uh, life is is a big has been a big influence uh, in yours and so does was the Hart family was that uh, really what you knew of your really was the big part of your family or was there also this connection to England? Well, you know what I would say uh, I knew or was more familiar with the. Cause being born and raised in, in Calgary. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I would say definitely closer to Canada, but I, um, you know, when we, like I would, we would do occasional trips, like especially Davey was so busy back in those days yeah. over to the UK. Um, so I, I got to be pretty familiar with the family over there. Uh, but like I said, yeah, definitely more with Canada. And actually I'm going back to the UK next month for, um, an event called super clash and i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna i'm just doing the one show there and then i'm gonna spend some time and visit with my grandfather who's he's my um last of my grand uh grandparents that's still alive my dad's dad and then um 
see some family over there and see my sister, which will be, be very nice. So it's, uh, I definitely have the, the UK, um, I guess, blood and, and heritage in me. It's just not as strong or as prominent as being from the, the Canadian side. Right, but there was always a connection there. That, uh, yeah, you're saying, yeah, that. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned you have a sister. There's just two of you. And, yep. uh, uh, but, you know, how did that connection happen? How did your parents meet? Uh, you know, Davy Boy was uh, married uh, to your mom. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so, to, <laughs> yeah, we know that. Uh, but Diana. And so how did those two meet? How did that happen? Well, um, so first, uh, my uncle Bruce came over to England and then he, he was, uh, he was doing a tour over there and he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily scouting for talent, but he was interested in, you know, kind of who's over there and stuff like that. So he had first met the dynamite kid over there and he, I think he called back home to Stu and told him like the A to Z that this guy's with the best talents he's ever seen. And he's just, mm. he's just a little bit on the small side, but he wants to bring him over and he, he mark my words, you will not be disappointed. And he sort of convinced dynamite to come over originally. And then he mm. had seen my dad at that point, but my dad would have been, Oh geez, about 15 or so, maybe even younger. Yeah. You know, I, I actually was, saw I some just, video. I think he was just training at the time. I don't think he had started yeah. wrestling, but he, he knew of him and seen him. Had yeah, seen um, excuse I, me. I saw some video of your dad. I, I think he was around 15, 16 years old. I mean, uh, you know, half the size of uh, what he eventually yeah. became. But you could tell then that, that he was he was definitely uh, one talented athlete, uh, even at that age. Yeah, you know, and watching, there's one match of his on YouTube um, from around, I think he was about 15 or 16. It's yeah. him against uh, Bernie Wright, who was... Um, he was related to uh, Alex Wright, or not uh, uh, Steve Wright, Steve and Alex Wright actually from yeah. from Germany. And then uh, they were right around the same age. But I mean, go- oh my gosh, the the pace that those two cut for yeah. I don't know what it was, ten rounds straight was unbelievable. How fast that they were going, it was almost too fast, or you couldn't keep up with it. But then I was going, man, when are these guys going to slow down? They have uh, they have a gas tank that's just like the Energizer Bunny. So yeah. you, you, for the for the fans that are listening, I think it's on YouTube. Or it's it still should be still unless it's been taken down. So when Dynamite came overseas, he had I think uh, Davey had been interested and had seen a lot of the publicity and stuff like that that Dynamite was getting. And he had done a tour of Japan in 1980, and then he was working for International before that. Who mm-hmm. uh, first? So he naturally wanted to follow his cousin, and then when my dad came over. Um, he originally him and dynamite bruce had them feuding at first like the the cousin that came over right. and it was davy's first first few weeks of working over here because dynamite had worked the english style over there so much that he wanted davy to be kind of get used to and familiar with the stampede style but dynamite had already been there for a couple of years so and then right. uh, naturally from that my my father had met uh, my mother and then um you know the rest the, is history things grew from there uh, yeah. But and uh, Tom Billington and and your dad, uh, Dynamite Kid, Tom Billington, mm-hmm. uh, were were legit cousins, right? I mean, they yes, yes, sir. Uh, and so, was there uh, other family wrestling? Like, how did your dad over in England, uh, you know, get started in that? Was there was there uh, you know other family that were involved in wrestling as well uh, over there? Well, it's funny. It goes back to uh, and it's something that I'm interested in now. 
but um, there's the old there's the Wigan Snake Pit for submission wrestling over there. Is that and, like the uh, Heart Dungeon? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, sort of similar to that. Um, yeah. That's where Steve Wright and a lot of these guys, Billy Joyce, Billy Robinson, yeah. Carl Gotch, uh, where they had all started. But by the time Dynamite and my dad were there, a lot of those guys had um they had already left or they had already moved on or um so there was i know steve wright was still training there when dynamite was there and i, I think uh, as far as i know steve was maybe a bit of a bully to to tom and beat him up there quite a bit but anyway back in those days in england and it's still a little bit like this there's a lot of problems with um young kids on the streets and getting into trouble so a lot of times what they what they would do is their parents would put them into because nowadays, like, there's so many different things to keep kids occupied with the television and the internet and movies. And, I mean, still kids will get into trouble. But back then, there was nothing. There was, you know, you can uh, go outside and get in trouble on the streets. and Or you can go and, you know, beat the shit out of each other at the at the gym. <laughs> right. the, yeah, and a lot of them were coal miner workers and stuff like that. Was it so, your dad's family middle class, or did they have money? Yeah, they, they were they were they were middle class. I mean, my yeah. father's, uh, my dad's dad, he was a, he was a pipeliner and a coal miner as well. Oh, okay. And uh, so he had um, he had been contacted by Ted Betley, uh, who was the uncle of Johnny Smith, who later came to to Calgary. But Ted was a professional wrestler, and he he had a, a school there, and he was from Isle of Man, but he. He said, okay, well, here, I'll, he said, how old's your son? And, you know, because they got to talking and he goes, oh, well, yeah. my son's uh, 14 or whatever. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He goes, if you if you lay these, because he, he had a big garden and a big backyard and he was going to lay, lay in some pipe lining and some pipes for him outside. For, um, <laughs> yeah. And he said, tell you what, he goes, well, you know, I'll, if you put in my pipes for free, he goes, I'll train your son and, you know, keep him out of trouble and blah, blah, blah. So then uh, him and. So a little uh, landscaping. That's great. Yeah, so basically that, and then uh, out of that, uh, Davey started training, and he had started training with uh, Bernie Wright, actually, who was the one that was in that video with him. And uh, and then from that, he, he wanted, you know, when he saw fit or they saw him good enough to get in the ring and, and perform, he, you know, debuted and uh, started wrestling on the, the English circuit. Mind you, he was still in, in school at this time, so yeah, he was, was doing – How uh, old was he? Yeah, he he would have been training throughout the week, and then uh. week weekends like a, a not like a weekend warrior like, but uh, but like that, and then same kind of deal, you know, because they they had the world of sports, so a lot of kids would see him on the TV and stuff like that, and uh, oh. I think it was a good thing because you know what I I have I mean I certainly would never have been never existed if that didn't happen, and you know who knows he might he may have just wound up becoming a. Uh, guy working at the pub or something i mean i don't know not that he not that he didn't have other skills or anything like that but you just yeah the the, the english time according to him he told me a lot of stuff there was a lot of uh it was like a there was they were just they were going through a big depression over there and a lot of people were had to work for to break their backs to earn a living some of these coal miners and stuff that you know their main meal of the day was uh a piece of sausage on toast and if they were lucky they might get fish and chips if it was like a big occasion you know so yeah well you know i i i played some rugby in, in college and we actually toured over there and went to wales and really it was the first experience of my life where i i realized you know what uh, my ancestors went through and they're you know and these it was very much the coal business was very much alive and that it, it was generational you were just expected to go down the ground 
And, uh, you know, these guys were, they, the kids, they didn't want that life. And when you got an opportunity to get out, uh, you took it. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, my dad had, um, at this point, right before he had went to Calgary, he went to South Africa and had done a tour over there. Uh-huh. And, uh, he didn't realize about how dangerous it was. And uh-huh. so a lot yeah. of those areas. And he just thought, I think that Max had gotten a contact from somebody over there and he was like, okay, well, I'll go tomorrow if you want me to. And yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. he went and he, he said he was, he, what he was okay when he went over there and, and then he went from there to Calgary. But yeah, so the, the, he, him training and originally in the Wigan snake pit, I got interested in that. And then, um, one of my senseis and, and teachers was, uh, Billy Robinson. I got to work with him quite a bit learning the, uh, submission style of wrestling, uh-huh. um, shoot style. And Billy was, uh, he had trained for years in the Wigan snake pit. And then he started his own gym in Manchester after he branched off. And then from there he went into the pro leagues and, uh, became a huge star in Japan. And then, of course, over in the UK and then over in the US for um, mostly for the AWA and trained a lot of was instrumental in training a lot of great guys like Ric Flair and the Iron Sheik and Jim Bunzel and some others. You know, before you we get off subject moving along here, and since you'd mentioned it, this Wigan snake pit, and you said you're very interested in that. Uh, yeah. What do you what do you mean by that? Do you want to uh, get involved in a promotion with that or what? What are you talking about? Oh, well, you know what? It's it's one of those deals. I um. I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah. and I love, I love, uh, grappling. So there, there's a whole lost art that, um, unfortunately, because as the generations have gone, there's been, a, there's not been so many people that have really know the, the art of catch submission wrestling. So it's, uh, one of those things. And I love jujitsu. I just don't really, I'm not crazy about the guard and, and, uh, wearing a gi, but there's a lot of, um, great aspects to the, the grappling game because the grappling game it's like there's so many different possibilities on the ground it's like uh the amount of grains there are on sand on a beach almost you know what i mean so it's it's a really fun um once you get into it and you get started with it you can really learn a lot about yourself even just rolling on the mat for five minutes and uh teaches you a lot about self-discipline and a great way to get in shape. And like I said, a lot of people consider it to be medicine for the mind. And as yeah. much as people think, oh, well, putting a chokehold on somebody's medicine to the mind, it's no, but you're grappling with somebody. You're all of a sudden uh, in the motion and trying to think of how can I get away from this guy trying to do this mission or, okay, he's trying to do this, so I'm going to block and counter with this. So everything's counters to counters and blocks to blocks. Yeah. It's like a physical chest is what I is the best way to put it. And there's so many different aspects. I mean, there's people that are extremely strong, like myself, but and then there's some people that are very loose and limber and flexible. And it all depends on what kind of attributes you have as physical and athletic attributes that you have, um, and what kind of technique you're able to apply when doing the game. So that, that's one thing. And I actually, I won a, uh, Naga submission grappling championship. And that was re- something really cool. Cause it was a, a championship belt. I can keep not have to defend <laughs> like yeah. pro wrestling, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I won that in uh, Las Vegas in expert division in a lot, about a year and a half ago. And I, I've wanted to compete more. I just, unfortunately with the professional wrestling, a lot of times my weekends are taken up and a lot of my, um, 
time is taken up with traveling. So that's what I said when I not traveling so much right now, it's kind of nice to have a time where I can, um, get back to doing what's really good for my, uh, irrelevant to my spirit and soul. I, I suppose you could say. Yeah. You know, and there, there are, I don't, I don't say there's many, but there are, uh, some legit, uh, really, uh, serious martial artists that, uh, are also professional wrestlers. And you've seen, we've seen some of this crossover, uh, you know, of, of them trying to compete in the MMA world. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think we're going to see more of that or, or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot different than it used to be is I think what I'm saying that you've, now you've got, uh, it's, it's just, they seem to be almost on parallel planes at, at times now with these guys that are, you know, now crossing over, coming back. And other ones trying to come and do the the professional wrestling. Yeah, you know what? There there is um there's a lot of no matter what anybody really wants to say, there there's a lot of similarities to it. And there's a lot of similarities in MMA with pro wrestling. And yeah, you talk about the countering and everything. I mean there there yeah, is. There's a lot. Yeah, and, and and you know, and it, and a lot of it comes down to also where I listen to some of these moron fans and idiots and they go, Oh, I don't watch the WWE, that's all fake. Uh, they're right. just a soap opera. Oh, guess what, man? I saw Tito Ortiz. He got up in that guy's face and he said this and this and <laughs> right, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm going, well, don't you guys see? Okay, well, two, they're two of the different things. But in MMA and stuff like that, they need also, and Dana, he may not admit it, but they need characters and they need guys oh, to. Of course. Oh, please. And especially you, they've taken so much from fights. watching the yeah. WWE. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know what Conor I mean? Conor McGregor, so, are you kidding me? I mean, I really. And, yeah. and he's a great entertainer. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, and they, it, I remember him stirring up all the WWE guys and they were going back and forth. And I said, hey, the guy's a, the guy's a genius. He's yeah, smart. No, he knows how to no generate interest. Yeah, you can't say no, he's not one tough son of a bitch, but. Yeah. No way uh, that he would have gotten the attention if he yeah. wouldn't sell. There's no uh, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and he's so great there, at. Yeah, the, so there's that similar. Like yeah. that's that's the big similarities that they want right. to see. They want to see more than just a guy getting kicked in the head, but or a submission slapped on. But they want to see emotion. They want to see. Uh, uh, they want to see passion. They want to see. Yeah. They want to see. Yeah. And you know what? And a lot of times, and it's kind of funny is a lot of times, even though it's a fight with MMA, a lot of times it's kind of an art and sometimes styles make fights. And that's the same with pro wrestling with two guys where you think that it's going to be a great match and you watch it and you go, well, I don't know. You know, two guys that maybe aren't your favorite and you go, wow, that you saw that live. That was a hell of a match. You know, just the way that they were able to, work with each other and interact with each other. I mean, I'm sure you probably had seen it over the years. And a lot of times it's just chemistry with two guys and, um, in the ring. So I, there's similarities to it with, with that certainly. And anybody that says that they're two totally different things. Well, yeah, in a way they're, they definitely are, but look at how much MMA has grown from what it originally was. Cause if they had just stayed at where they were, they never would have marked my words. They would never would be, the mainstream product that they are now. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, we've got a lot to talk about Harry, uh, but I want to take a quick time out here to mention one of our great sponsors, Harry, you like to go to live events, right? You like, uh, not just going to say WWE or some of these other great independent shows, but you live music as well. I do. I, you know what, if, if there's concerts in town when I'm in town, cause I'm, I'm never home. I would definitely 
like to go out and see those. So yeah, you mentioned you said that it was a life changing event, and and folks, yeah, it, sure. it may happen to you if if you get out there and experience this. And one way you can do it is by checking out our uh, good friends at Seat Geek. Now, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app right onto your mobile device. And once you do that, you're just a few finger taps away from getting awesome seats to that special event that you've been thinking about. And listen to this. Because you are one of my listeners, because you listen to Primetime with Sean Mooney, once you have downloaded that app, all you have to do is plug in the promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Now, let me tell you why SeatGeek is the absolute best. One big reason is that SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites to compare and find the best prices. Also, every purchase is absolutely guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with total confidence. And once again, best part about it, because you're one of my listeners, you're going to get that special deal. Just download the SeatGeek app onto your mobile device whatever it may be, and enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Okay. Uh, on this show, a lot of times we we go off track, as we, we just did before when we are talking about uh, grappling and all these other things. I want to I go back to uh, your time in Calgary, and just I, I think about what it must have been like, because there were tons of kids around, right? And here you are. Uh, surrounded by this, uh, you know, as I mentioned, wrestling royalty. Was it crazy growing up? What I'm just try and put into a capsule what it was like to be around these people. Well, I'll tell you first much or this much. Uh, it was only crazy when my my older cousin Teddy Hart was around, which is whenever he was around, <laughs> things are crazy. <laughs> why is why is no, that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just, just ragging on my cousin. Yeah. Okay. But uh, no. Uh, I just actually caught up with him yesterday. He came yeah. up for a visit. But um, you know what? Cool. Man? You guys are was, still all really close. Yeah, you know, awesome. um, for sure, man. And, you know, uh, it was a really – it was a fun – I couldn't have imagined it any other way. Uh, huh. You know what I mean? It was just because there was so many – so many of us were so young at the time, just growing up, like um, the amount of uh, – oh, my gosh. We used to put the two couches together and have like uh, – after the Sunday dinner was done, like little bat, mini battle royals. And luckily none of us got hurt. <laughs> you could have gone down to the dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? We weren't really allowed. We were really? we honestly weren't. No, that was off limits. We got, yeah. Not until we got to a certain age. Cause, um, the one thing that, uh, was off limits was when you went downstairs, there were these really, really hard, like uh, there were black steel steps and they were, uh, ridged. And Stu, when he was younger, he was taking something down and he's, he caught his cowboy boot on one of the ridges and did a somersault and he had split his head open and he almost nearly bit his tongue in half. Jeez. And that's why he, that, and that's one of the reasons why he had such a, he was like, uh, oh, he, really? he almost, yeah, he almost oh. completely severed his tongue. So oh. they were always, and I think my little cousin Tanya had done, she had done a little spill. It was nothing serious, but they were always scared of us. Well, for one, going down to the dungeon, but two, just if one of us fell, uh, how dangerous it was. And these, I don't know why they never fixed them, but these I was going to say, they really never thought dangerous. about changing the steps. No, because <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, because they probably never wanted to change them because Stu made them and that's, right. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and they, they were, they were sharp at the edges. So they were dangerous. So they everything was probably to, sharp in that place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Nothing and, was and, yeah. So, and then when we were able to get to, uh, 
you know, like it never was like a one day you're allowed to go to the dungeon, but you know, out, out of nowhere, you know, you can go down there. And they were just always scared of us playing with a lot of the weights because back before a lot of these, some of these wrestlers, because uh, these wrestlers back in the day, they were so selfish and uh, not really great guys, to be honest with you. They would go downstairs and they would steal weights or. Stu had a really nice punching bag down there that somebody had stolen. It might have, could have even been one of my Uncle Smith's friends. You know, who knows? And um, Out of the dungeon, lot, they dared? Yeah, well, you, you know, because Stu is one of those kind of guys that he always left the door open. Like, uh-huh. not open, but it was always unlocked because there were so many guys coming in and out. You could just yeah, walk in. There's always the chance he might catch you and then oh, stretch yeah, you. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, th- th- so we were kind of off limits to that but once yeah. we were got to a certain age we we were allowed to you know so how old were play. you the first time you were allowed down those stairs i, I probably would i probably would have been about five or six okay. like I, i'm talking about like until we were like it was almost kind of like you weren't allowed to go swimming by yourself or having somebody kind of watch you yeah and then uh i don't know if you had remembered but we had done one of the times we were allowed to do it was uh they had done some kind of promo for Brett and it wanted to pretend like it was him and Owen grappling in the basement and they did it in black and white, but it was, yeah. yeah, And it was, it was me and Dallas that were playing with each other, like not playing with each other, but Stu was trying to show us how to almost, it was funny, like grip with grip our t-shirts, like as if they were judo geese and we were doing some very basic stuff on the ground and then they showed it in black and white and then they showed it but you can i don't know where if it's on um oh that's very cool i got to get that on the com. yeah i'm pretty sure it is but it's just a small clip it's like 10 seconds and it shows Stu, and he's kind of counting and looking but that was one of the few times when we were allowed and i had the i had my well the 90s bowl cut at the point uh haircut yeah that standard issue yeah yeah so and then, uh, yeah, so that was one of the times. And after that, you know, I got gradually got into, uh, got into training and stuff down there. So, so was your house near the, the, the main compound? Did they, they all, everybody live near each other? I mean, how? Yeah. So, uh, my dad dynamite and Brett or no, uh, excuse me, my dad and dynamite, we lived in uh Springbank, uh-huh. and then Brett, Brett had lived, uh, kind of up in was the north but he he had gotten a really nice house and with an olympic size swimming pool mm-hmm. and they they had all kind of lucked out because the uh i think it was about 1986 or 87 the whole economy just got wiped out up here like housing economy so they got yeah. their houses for Pretty at a really cheap. good price yeah and i i love my house in Springbank. oh my gosh the i remember some of the guys that were uh i think he had macho man randy savage come over i mean dynamite would come over um, all sorts of people, and it was it was a big house on a big acreage. Then we had moved to uh, Florida in about 1991, and then we moved back here in uh, 1996. So, oh, okay. So, um, but, and then uh, and then after that, we would always usually stay closer to, uh, to closer to Stu's, within like about a 10 to 15 minute drive, or sometimes closer. Same uh, with Owen. So you know, everybody knows what a crazy uh, schedule that these guys kept back then. So how how often did you see your dad? Oh my gosh, um, not a whole lot. You know, it was yeah. it it was uh, man. I the schedule was in it was nuts. But when he had, I think it was about ninety six or so, something like that. They had kind of laid off, like they had lightened it up quite a bit. 
And then I remember when he went back in about 99, it was like, oh, this is weird to see him home about this much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it was, it was like the same kind of deal that is now you do, uh, what is it, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday's TV tapings and fly home and then sometimes less and then they do these. But man, they, back in those days, they would go, they would go away for like 27 days straight and then come yeah. home for yeah. half the day is traveling or whatever. And then they would right. come home for three days to do uh, laundry and, and then they would be, they would be off again. So, I mean, I, I don't know how they did it really. And especially, I don't either. like, you, you, you know, nowadays how, yeah. <laughs> how easy it is to get around, not easy, but Hey, you know, you got Uber drivers, you got uh, navigational GPSs on your phone. You got a uh, back in those days, they had the big Atlas textbook or the some kind yeah. of map that you unfolded that would be like the size of a roof of a house or something like that. Yeah. And <laughs> so, I and guess the, these guys really had to know their their roads and uh, and the guy at the there. local gas station. Yeah, because <laughs> they'd have to head to town. Exactly. You yeah. know, and my my dad had told me that he would. Um, he would just get like a big booklet of uh, like airplane tickets and stuff like that. Yep. Or in a, in a, and you probably would have known. And then there was just, you're off. You're kind of like a, a free Yeah. And they had to and figure then, it out. They had to figure out how they got to each town and they, they, they paid their way. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was tough. So and during that, all that time, how did you develop a relationship with him? Did you feel uh, like you really had one? You just, uh, did what you could when he was home. I and mean, what kind of a relationship were you able to develop at that? Time. Well, yeah, sure. I, um, as funny as it sounds, I, I got to know him a lot from watching TV. I see huh. him on TV, well, you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, no. yeah. And, uh, it's, it sounds kind of funny, but as big of a fan as I was growing up, um, whenever he would come home, I would ask him, oh my gosh, all of these questions about, you know, how tall is this wrestler? And yeah, right. is, uh, you know, is Papa Shango, is he actually, does he actually do any voodoo stuff? Like I was, I was young. I was, I was six right. years old. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, not that he was annoyed by me asking him, but he's, I'm sure well, being on the road for 20, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, being on the road for 27 <laughs> days straight with these guys that when you come home, you don't really want to talk about it, but hey, that, that was what I love to do. You know, that's the, I really, really enjoyed wrestling, enjoyed wrestling. So I would. I would ask him all kinds of questions and well, and you also, you just want to be with your dad. You want to have, you know, have a conversation. That's what you knew. Yeah. You know, it it would be no different than, than a a kid that his dad's a famous baseball player and then our football player. Then he comes home and he's asking him about questions about training and how the games went and this so-and-so his socks really that smelly when he plays like, (laughs) like Bobby Heenan might say or something, you know, just stuff like that. So it would be no different, but, um, so that was a lot of uh, that. That's how I got to know him. A lot of it was through that. You know, there's there's kind of this this legend out there that you began wrestling uh, at eight. Uh, yeah. Did you really start, you know, training I did. At, at that early of an age? Really? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, so what what happened was um, we were living in Florida at the time, and then it was the summer yeah. of 1994. So we would always come up. Uh, during the summertime to Calgary to visit. And then, uh, we would go back and I would always, always be sad to go back to Florida as much as it was cool. But, the there was so much well, family, family going on there. Yeah. yeah. And you know, then I was still and... wrestling and uh, active and I was close to, uh, Ted and his younger brother, Matt, who unfortunately passed away. And, yeah. uh, so, yeah. So, you know what, what we did was we would always be playing around in the ring 
and uh, at this point. And we would always, like, I would be putting on most some of my dad's old gear and jump around the ropes and stuff like that. So we, me and uh, Ted and Matt, we started playing around, uh, and then we kind of came up with the idea that we would have a, a match because back in those days, my uncle Ross and Bruce, they had the uh, Stampede Wrestling territory was finished, but right. they would always still have these two shows every summer at a place called the Rockyford Rodeo. And I believe it was July 21st and July 22nd every year, no matter what. And it was always kind of a big deal. Stu would drive down and he would always pick up these uh, sometimes distressed fruits and stuff like that from this guy up in Rockyford, even though, because Stu doesn't like to waste anything. And if he, <laughs> if he, if he thinks something that's is yeah, good yeah. or he's going to, he's going to, yeah, he's going to do it, and especially yeah. he doesn't want to see it go to waste. fruit. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that, you know? So we would make a big – they would make a big trip. And yeah. Rocky Ford was about uh, like maybe an hour and a half or two hours outside of Calgary. It's like a – almost like a little – not a native reservation, but a lot of natives live there. Not not much going on. So yeah. we would uh, – so we decided to do this match, and then we, we trained for a couple weeks, and we had been – we learned how we had already learned how to bump and stuff like that, and learned some basics. But we couldn't really hit hit the ropes because we were so small. Yeah. And Stampede's ropes, the old rings there were were quite high. So we we came together and we put together a little match, um, an exhibition. But you know what? You watching it back? Uh, my uncle Ross and Bruce they had they had helped choreograph it for us. Um, we only went for about a minute and a half or two minutes, but it was good action. There was nothing in it that was not. Uh, unbelievable aside from an eight-year-old and an 11 year old you know going in there with their shirts off and wearing some shorts and jordan shoes and wrestling you know there wasn't yeah, well, we did, was it well received i mean it must have been fun was, being yeah. in front of a crowd right it was Is that when you, you heard the what? first pop <laughs> it was and you know what i've never been so nervous in my life uh yeah it was in front well, of about a maybe about 150 or 200 fans but you got to think you're eight years old yeah. and you're going out there and and wrestling back in those days was a lot less um it was a lot more kayfabe and it was a lot it's it was different back then so it was oh, it was yeah. really scary and then uh, we got it we got a really good reaction and i was so glad like it was like almost like a high when i came to the back like oh my gosh like it, not that i didn't remember it but like you're in there and then you come back and you're almost like shaky from it <laughs> now you're so, talking uh, folks he's talking about when he was eight so but what yeah. by the time you were 11 like you're an old vet so <laughs> Right, I mean, you were in. Uh, was there well, a match you did for? It was uh, WWF at, at a, a live event or something. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, like, so, so, yeah. So, my cousin uh, Matt, he was eleven at the time, uh, and then the next year we came over. We did the same. We did the same match, except for Ted had been interested in uh, in participating. So then it was me and TJ Wilson, who's who's now known as or was known as Tyson Kidd in WWE. Huh. We, we teamed up against Ted and his younger brother, Matt, and then we did the same kind of thing, but it was uh, about four minutes. But like I said, it was it was good, solid wrestling like we did. Uh, I actually, not to toot my own horn or insult anybody, but better than a lot of the shit nowadays that you see on some of these <laughs> independents. Because uh, at, at least we were yeah. good athletes. Like, at 11, in, right? Yeah, a good amateur wrestler. And like, you know, you had a singlet on and you did a good backslide and a... No, no punches, no kicks, no, not like a, maybe a, an elbow, overhand elbow smash, good snapmare. Everything, the basics were all good. And that's, that was what, uh, none of the, we never got any flack or anything from the audience. Cause there was a couple guys making, you know, 
annoying teenagers making remarks or whatever, but everybody gave us a good ovation after and all that. Yeah, so don't you the, think that there's some of that, like you mentioned that today with the, the independent and that it, it's not the same people training these people as the old school guys, the, the, the generations that, uh, do you think that that is part of it? What's, what's happening today with a lot of what we see in the ring? Yes. And part of the problem is that unfortunately with the wrestling business, there's not really like any, uh, there's not really any rules and part or, or not, not rules, but how should I say it? Not stipulations, but like, um, ah, oh, geez, I don't know how you could say it, but well, like, the line is definitely blurred. There were definitely, uh, you know, good guys, bad guys, uh, you know, not to say that, uh, when that happened, it didn't improve things in some, in some ways, but I, I think I know what you're saying about it's the old school, the way they have, uh, the way things were done. Yeah. And a lot of and these stories guys, were like, told. Yeah, and a lot of these guys, you know, a lot. Some of them, I don't even think that they should have had their first match yet. When watching them, they're they don't they. I can't think of one thing that they do right. Us, and this is I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm just saying that there's been quite a few or majority. And a lot of it is that their basics are so poor. And that was one thing that I really learned in the dungeon was good basic wrestling, good like how to bump properly, how to. I mean, accidents do happen, of course, but how to protect yourself protect your opponent so a lot of a lot of and you would probably know this sean just it's common sense that foundation has to be built on strong yeah basics well wasn't it, it wasn't it uh wasn't it a, a base i mean i think months and months and months that you never got in a ring at stews you you were did everything on mats oh yeah no and you know what like when when ross and bruce were teaching us and having us no. go over this match we had we were allowed to do, I think, one little spot off the ropes, and they said that anything more than that's going to be too unbelievable for what these the fans are going to see. So they they said we don't want and and it and it was true. And I'm not saying that guys nowadays should not do one spot off the ropes, but if you take a look at a lot of the young guys in Japan mm-hmm. and the, the Japanese young boys, a lot of them are just doing a lot of basic wrestling for the first match. Like sometimes they went with the Boston crab and stuff like that, but they're conditioned mm-hmm. to learn how to build stories off, not necessarily big moves, but just uh, basic psychology and basics and stuff like, you know, and, and a lot of these guys on the independence now, they don't hit the gym and they don't take themselves seriously. And that's what I say is like, if you don't really take yourself seriously, then why should the average fan that's breaking his back on a, you know, nine to five job or whatever, spend his hard earned $20 to come and see you wrestle yeah. when you don't, when you don't want to go to the gym and you want to look like one of them. Yeah. And I'm so not, what, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that every wrestler needs to look like Hulk Hogan or anything, but you have to, you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? And I, and I, and I also know that I, there, there are some great athletes out there that are, that are in the ring that I just don't think that they are uh, trained and, and it's not just learning the moves. It's learning the business. And I think that that's what's what's been lost in a big way. Uh, yeah, so, and, and 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 like I said, was going back, Sean, and I'll I'll, I'll go move forward with your yeah. question. Uh, everybody that you learn the alphabet, but you have to learn A, B, C, you have to learn A to Z. You can't skip J, yeah. K, L, M, N, O, P to get yeah. to, to Z. No so, and, and you have to really, yeah. So you have to really learn that. And uh, the basics are like anything. Like you go to a, you watch an MMA fight. A lot of these w- fights are one with a rear naked choke. Or yeah. it's the it's a basic technique, but it's how that they're getting there. And all the um, the little t- details and uh, 
subtleties and stuff like that that a lot of the great workers are are really good at and pacing and timing in a match is is i think two of the most important things in changing the tempo so when did this really become serious for you uh because you know you were already doing matches i don't know when you first became professional i don't i know it wasn't wasn't much later than that i know 15 or 16 but did you really was it was just expected of you that you were just going to go in the business were you was that something you wanted or yeah how did that yeah sure Mm. yeah so um, get, going back to that, so when we were, the, the Rockyford Rodeo was treated as like the, oh my gosh, I thought of that, we thought of that as like WrestleMania, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So we would, uh, we were only really allowed to do Rockyford, we were allowed at one point to do Crow's Nest Pass and Pincher Creek, and that was the summer of 96, that was unfortunately the summer when my cousin Matt had passed away, Yeah, and, uh, and I'll tell you how strict it was back then. We had done this match. We had done that. We were supposed to do basically the same match we had done at Rockyford, but for Pincher Creek and Crow's Nest Pass. And we did it the next night. And I think it was Crow's Nest Pass. And Ted wanted to do, he was really obsessed with giving <laughs> TJ a superplex. And uh, they had always been practicing it outside. And, and Ted was obsessed with it. And the, I think the finish was. Um, we had done the Wembley finish where I get pinned with the sunset reversal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, I think it was Ted was doing it on me. Or, uh, yeah. So anyway, we, we, or I was teaming with Ted this year, so I did it with TJ. Then to, of course I could see it and I, I didn't want to get in trouble, but I knew we were all going to get in trouble. Cause Ted had asked Ross like, Hey, can I do the, the superplex off the top? And Ross is going, no, you know, you guys won't be allowed to do the superplex off the top. Uh, you are first match and blah, blah, blah. And I, he did have a point, you know, and he said, you know, so, uh, of course, Ted wants to do it. And so I kick out <laughs> from mm-hmm. TJ reversing the sunset. And then we did something where I tagged in Ted and I could just see Ross out of the corner of my eye. And I just saw him because it was one of those old hockey arenas where you could <laughs> they could watch through the glass. I could see him just shaking his head. Right. And then Ted did the superplex to TJ. And I tell you, the fans weren't expecting it and it got a hell of a pop. But that wasn't. That wasn't the point. So, yeah. <laughs> after after that happened, Ross was furious. Yeah. And uh, I think the match after that, it was this kid named uh, the Pitbull Kid, who was Dennis Herman. Uh, Dennis Herman, who's uh, Jacquem, uh he, he was an old referee that was from from Germany that used to ref in Stampede. I think it was him versus um, oh geez Ken Johnson or somebody, and they had done a superplex, but they did theirs off the second. And right. they, the, there were some fans that were giving them, heck, hey, the kids are better than you. They went off the oh, top yeah, rope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Ross was furious. So we weren't allowed yeah, to do any more shows. made it look shows. bad. Really? Yeah, we, and, 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 banned. Yeah, no, we, we were banned. And uh, yeah. this was summer 96. So then we were allowed to do, because my cousin Matt had passed away, we, were, we had gotten contact to do, um, to do a house show in October of uh, 96 up here in Calgary. And it was supposed, to, and it was Davey was you know, Owen was still uh, in the company. Brett was on his little hiatus mm-hmm. um, at the time from after he lost to Sean. So, uh, so yeah, we we were allowed to do this, and Ted wanted to do the superplex there, and they kind of said, well, uh, okay, and they they agreed to it. But again, like we were shut down to like the our match that we had in Pincher Creek or whatever was like ten minutes and uh, eight to ten minutes, and they cut us down to like three or four 
And I, I learned the hard way about going yeah. home early. Like I remember Earl was yelling. You got to follow the, the rules. Yeah, yeah. Go home, go home. And right you now. can't go make the right next now. match look bad. <laughs> no. Yeah. So we yeah. kind of learned that. And then we weren't allowed on any more shows until I think the heat had kind of worn off until the next Rocky Ford. And then, uh, at this point, my cousin Ted had started wrestling for um, a rival company called Can-Am Wrestling up here. Yeah. And they they were they were been running out of bar. And it was funny because uh, Ted was only 17 at the time. And, and up here in, in Calgary, the, you know, to enter a bar, you got to be 18. So it was all kind of kayfabed and his name was going to be Teddy A. So nobody would. And it was not like an together. underground, like a yeah. outlaw, but. Of course, word got around, and Ted was asking Ross, or Ross was asking Ted about it, and Ted was denying it. And so, anyway, he did a couple shows, and uh, then somebody ratted Ted out that he's actually not 17. So he had to wait until February, I think, of uh, 1998, because that's when he would have been 18. Yeah. And then we were only allowed to do the Rockyford shows after that. So that long story, that was because of <laughs> Ted and this, that superplex thing. So. Yeah, you guys were too good early on. You you, you uh, messed up your early career. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you know what? That that was all kind of forgotten. And yeah, I mean, it was it was all not to blame Ted, but it was his <laughs> his idea, right? So yeah. So yeah. was your dad uh, have much of an influence in those early years as far as what you were doing in the ring, or was that uh, you know Stu and and um, you know those guys directing you? I mean, he was on the you road, know, so. Uh, yeah, you know what? He he really was, but I'll tell you this. Um, I, 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 of course, I loved watching WWF and stuff like that, but yeah. um, I had, at the time, um, he had unfortunately given away these these videotapes, but I, I've, because of how things are now, it's they've resurfaced. But yeah. um, there was old matches of him and Dynamite Kid from New Japan about 1983 to 84. And uh, they had the bald heads, and then they had the shaved heads. Yeah. And some of the stuff I was seeing with uh, my dad and the Cobra and Dynamite Kid and the Cobra and Kuniaki Kobayashi and all these guys, and there was, it was just like unbelievable stuff. And just even watching it and hearing the commentators, how crazy that they were going. So we were trying to, and Ted was really obsessed with that that sort of stuff. And then we had come across some. Um, there was at that time there was only I think we had two of the matches with Dynamite and Tiger Mask, and I mean it was the first one he they'd done with Dynamite. He's wearing one yellow knee pad. It was the first uh -huh. one they had, and another match that they had, and we, we must have watched those matches like a hundred times, just completely really? obsessed. Yeah, trying yeah. to emulate the spots that they were yeah. doing. So so they so my dad I was um, trying to emulate him, but I was trying to emulate him more from his work that he had done in Japan and him and dynamite kid. And we, I was just obsessed with uh, Japanese wrestling from sort of basically that point on. And of course, be, like being a young kid, um, like it's like stuff like sushi and, and Japanese food. It's more, it's more cultured now. Like it's more popular now, but back when I like 1991 or 1992, like, you know, what six year old kid at that time is going to, is wanting to eat sushi, but I was, <laughs> Wow. And I was and I thought I was so cool. I was telling all the kids at school, like, raw hey, fish. you know what? Guess what? My dad took me to eat sushi. And they're going, What's what? that? He said, raw raw fish. Oh no, you gotta be you're lying. Yeah, you out of your mind. What yeah. did you did he just grab it from the fish tank and eat it? No, no, it's all they slice it up and it was orange and red and really? 
Okay. So you got to try it. No, I could never eat that. I'd barf or something like that. Yeah. You know, well, that's how common that that, that's funny. That's funny. That's a memory that stands out with you. Uh, what do you remember uh, of your earliest? Because you were really young when when they were uh, really popular in the WWF uh, with Dynamite Kid and your dad. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, oh gosh, I mean, just the way that they had re- revolutionized um, like high flying and professional wrestling at that point was was unbelievable. And like, I wish like. Um, there were so many, oh my gosh, I don't know how to even describe it, but there were so many like almost like hidden gems always around the house. Like at the time, I remember when we had gone up to visit um, uh, my family over in the UK. And at the time they had the old, there was the British Bulldogs VHS that um, Coliseum Home Video had done. Yeah, I probably hosted that one. Uh, it was, it was, it was mean, <laughs> it was, uh, it was mean Gene because I think it was about 86 or so. But oh, yeah, for my arrival. Yeah, Yeah. so I, you know what? When I would see this kind of stuff, I was, like, completely obsessed with it. Like, because yeah. – and you would – there were so many – like, we had – my mom used to love recording the Flintstones episodes. So we had so many blank videotapes that – and she would record, you know, it would be Flintstones. That's right, and yeah. She'd turn the channel, and you'd have to, like, be on a real, like, almost like a witch hunt to find some of the stuff <laughs> – and you and you would find like oh wow that, look you know the, I fast Hidden forward gems, and I found yeah. this old this old tag match with Dusty Wolf and Steve Lombardi versus Dynamite oh look at the way Dynamite dropped so and so on his head here you know what I mean so there was yeah. there were so many um, hidden gems and and stuff like that at the house or you would go through and like you could go up in my grandpa's attic and find like all these old programs and pictures of of my dad and Dynamite and stuff like that so it was really neat but. I don't really have a whole lot of memories of dynamite because I was young, but also yeah, pretty. It like, went like, south. It went south really in what eighty eight. So when when uh, after that uh, that uh, <coughs> incident, as they say, with the Rougeau brothers, and then uh, you know, dynamite kid and your dad, they the, the tag team basically split up. Not much longer after that, and your dad fortunately went on to have a uh, you know a great career. Uh, beyond that with the WWE, but did he ever talk to you about what happened with them? Yeah. So, um, I actually, I'd remembered dynamite. I think it was the last time that they would have met. I remember picking them up like with my mom and my sister would have been pretty young at the airport from Japan and mm-hmm. dynamite at this point, he would, he was always wearing that cow, like the cabbie hat, yeah, like the old English driver hat. And, uh, a pair of dark sunglasses and you might've seen him wear those. Cause I guess he had, um, he had some sort of like, he would get epileptic seizures mm-hmm. and he would wear dark sunglasses. Cause he said that, um, aside light, from light would trigger. Ring, yeah. And he, yeah. he had, I think he talked about in his book, he had seizures. So I remember that. And then, uh, playing around at BJ's, I remember seeing him once we were playing with the water pistols and he was telling me to put the gun in my mouth and squirt the back of my throat. I did, and I thought, oh, that, feel, that feels pretty good. And I remember I was doing it, um, I think a couple months later, my mom goes, Harry, don't do that. Because, you know, when you go to shoot yourself, you do that yeah, underneath yeah. the chin. Wow. I said, well, t- the old dynamite told me that. Well, don't do that. Don't listen to him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was going, well, it feels good. You know, it's water going in the back. And so, yeah, well, you know, the, part of the big thing was like dynamite and it's a real sad situation, but yeah. I was from what I from what I know is that he was never really the same after the Rougeau incident. 
after the fight. And yeah, I, yeah, and, uh, and I think that he always had a a reputation of being a really tough guy, and I think that it kind of broke his spirit. So after that, like even Vince wanted, he gave him, I think it was five grand or something like that to go and fix his teeth. And in spite of the whole thing, because of how it happened, he just kept the money. But he, he could have paid for and gotten his teeth fixed. Like it wasn't yeah. like. So then after that, they. Had done, but I think uh, they went after they 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 wrestled it together for a while in Japan because they both left at yeah, the same they, time. Yeah, they did. Yeah. But what did. what what happened with I mean what finally uh, split them? Did did you ever hear the story of of how it happened? Yeah. So they like like I said that we had, I remember picking them up from the airport and then. Uh, yeah. At the time, Dynamite, he had kind of gone into, uh, as far as I know, almost like a semi-retirement. Mm-hmm. So they had done a tour of Japan in 1990. And I think it was May of uh, 1990 when my dad went back for a singles tour. Because he had called up Baba and said, basically, like, hey, you know, I understand you're using me and Dynamite as a tag team. But, like, uh, Stampede's not going on anymore. I need to make money. So he booked him on a, on a singles tour. And then... Um, they were supposed to come back for the, I think it was the World Tag League tournament, or mm-hmm. uh, or no, yeah, that that's what it was, and it was around October of 1990, and then my dad had been contacted by Vince, and I, I well at the time, excuse me, let me just backtrack a little bit here. They were over yeah. in Japan in January of 1990, and I guess Vince had come over to do some, um, he had come over to do some publicity work for. I don't know if you'd remember, but they did a big show at the Tokyo Dome. They called it the Egg Dome back then, mm-hmm. and it was it was Hulk Hogan versus Stan Hansen, and Tenru versus Macho Man. Yeah, that's so where they used to do a lot of cross promoting. Yeah, so Dynamite. Yeah. So Vince, I guess, came to one of Baba's shows, and he specifically wanted to talk to my dad and Dynamite, and he had seen them, and they said, "Okay, well, we'll talk to him." And from what I know. Uh, Vince said, hey, well, you know, guys, I want bygones to be bygones. Would you like to come back? And Dynamite said, yeah, in about fucking 10 years. And then oh, he walked out of the room. Wow. And so that means he didn't want to go back. And Davey goes, oh, yeah, I'd like to come back. And yeah. and, and at this point, you know, it's like one of those things where they, they left. When they had left, like things, not that the grass is greener on the other side, but to them, they, like they had Stampede Wrestling. They had All Japan. They thought, hey, we're going to leave WWF. Screw these guys, the Rougeos. Right, we're going to be fine. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, from what I know, and I I don't want 100% blame Dynamite for this, but it could be documented um, from people that he kind of hot-shotted the Stampede Wrestling territory with a lot of his booking and Uh overbooked a lot of stuff. And he had brought in uh, Harley Race and Don Morocco and a lot of – Guys that were probably pretty expensive from WWF. And mm-hmm. Stu was, I think Stu was giving him, Dynamite, my dad, a pretty good guarantee for weeks than when they were here. Yeah. I think originally it started out at 2000 a week, which was pretty good for 1989. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it dropped down to 1500, then it dropped down to 1000. Because they just because the attendances were just yeah, they weren't drawing. Out. That's what you based it. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And and you know, dynamite. By this point, his body had been really falling apart, like literally. You know, he had that back surgery. He actually wasn't supposed to come back from, and came back way too soon. But but you can't really necessarily blame dynamite for coming back too soon because he says that Vince was sending him checks for two hundred bucks a week to support himself while he was injured. Wow. That's just what he claims. So, so, so they, so this was going on. They were, so my dad had agreed to go back, and then 
Brutus Beefcake had been injured in the summer of 1990, and yeah. with that parasailing accident. Right. So they right. they had asked uh, they had asked Davy to come back and fill in for him because he had he wasn't working. And Davy's, uh, I believe his his uh, green card had just expired, but he was all. I remember he was all set to go, and his green card had expired. And then he went down. To, we went down to Florida that summer to kind of see Jim and. Uh, you know, kind of talk to Vince and stuff like that, or he was going to talk to him. So then he, he agreed to come back and return in October of 1990. I think you probably would have. Uh, yeah, I was I still think, there. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. It was right before Survivor Series. Yeah. And I, and I, Davey Boy Smith up with the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah. And then yeah. it came on. So then, yeah. So, so Dynamite says something in his book that Davey called Baba up. And claimed that Dynamite had been in a car accident. He wasn't going to be able to make the the tour of the tag league tour of 1990, and he said that he couldn't make it either. And that and then Davey went to WWF. I personally I don't believe that because I've never I never heard any version of the story, and I don't believe that. Uh, I just don't believe Davey would make something up like that to to screw over Dynamite, and also. What it, Baba would just call up Dynamite right away and say, "Hey, are you okay?" And he would he'd say, "So that didn't that story didn't come out till years later when he, Dynamite wrote his book." Yeah, but and there was a lot of I, venom. There was a lot of venom in that book, and I don't know if, uh, how much of it was. You yeah. Know, just, so. Yeah, and Dynamite was going through a pretty heavy um, and rocky relationship with Michelle, and mm -hmm. I, apparently he was, you know, doing a lot of bad stuff, and. Uh, he had gotten into some sort of scuffle with some cowboys here in Cochrane at a bar and naturally had gotten roughed up pretty good. And a, a cowboy had stabbed him with a, uh, <clears throat> with a bottle in the face. Wow. And he had, he had come home from that and, a, and he was with his younger brother, Mark. So Michelle said she wanted a divorce finally. And dynamite mind you at this point wasn't working. And I think that they had just sold their big house that they had bought and they bought a little house in Cochrane. Mm -hmm. And Dynamite had whatever money he would, had from WWF, so he just wasn't he wasn't really needing to work. So then she had um, filed for divorce, and then sent him a one way ticket back to England. And mm -hmm. then uh, and Dynamite was I think he was just completely like I want to say just beaten emotionally. And they had they had these two rings like a bulldog ring, a gold one that my dad and Dynamite each had gotten, and they broke the mold when they made it. So. And then right before Dynamite left, he sold it to this guy named Pierre here for about 500 bucks. And he was just, that was kind of like, ooh, you know. Because yeah. they, they had both got, they, they, I mean, these rings were both worth about $4,000 each. Yeah. And it was just like, just even, it was almost like Dynamite wanted Davey just to know, like, hey, man, I'm selling this ring for 500 bucks. That's what I think of you and this tag team, and I'm going home. So yeah. and then he went home and he's never been back since. Yeah. And then and then after that, that the, where because there's a lot of bad venom there. Yeah. And uh, and what Dynamite had done because Davey was really popular in WWF in 1991, 92, and Dynamite started using. Um, well, he started bashing Davey, of course, in a like some magazine, and he said that his back is broken, and but he was and he you know did all the work for the team, but he was he had been working for still in japan a little bit but he retired in 91 and then he was using the british bulldog name at this point and he was and he was going around saying he was the real british bulldog and this and that yeah and your dad had uh, uh copyrighted 
the British yes. Bulldog, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's and you know, and he copyright did that, and um, you know, that, that's that's, and you can't entirely blame Davey for copywriting the name, oh, and they had no, sent they had absolutely. sent the papers, and it was like, yeah. hey, Tommy, you, you're this is how you want to this is how you want to have it, and this is how it's going to be. So I'm going to copyright the name. And then I think he had served him with papers and then dynamite had um, gone way off the wall. And he went over to Davey's brother's house. Who is he's, his name's Terrence. He's kind of a, not a pathetic thing, but he's not, he's, he wouldn't be a very average guy. And dynamite, his younger brother, Tom, they went and beat him up and said, you know, give this message to Dave or whatever. And they left and, he wanted so, to try so uh, he, Billington of uh, Dynamite. They went over and beat uh, your dad's brother up. Uh, yeah, was it just him, or he had some? No, other... he had his he had his younger brother Mark with him that beat him up, and it was to send and, a message. Uh, yeah, so they and then and then uh, and Mark and uh, Dynamite. I've I've talked to Mark years later about it and Dynamite actually, but um, and then they he got scared and he went to the police and he wanted to press charges, you know, for assault and then. A couple nights later, someone dynamite sent somebody to shoot out his wi- his window on his front <laughs> door. Yeah, wow. so Davey said, "You know what? Just forget about it. Just let it be." So it was th- a lot of this came from the the British bulldog name and all that, and yeah. just this big freaking eruption. But you know what? Uh, and, and it happened was, re- quickly too. I mean, the, his fall uh, uh, was, and you're right. After that, whatever you know, people talk about that incident. Uh, with, yeah, and uh, so with Rougeau I, brothers, know, and he was never the same. That was the beginning of the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel bad that it it happened, but and as much as I love Dynamite and respect him, he is base. You know, he is my uncle pretty much, and he's my blood relative. But yeah. I think he had it coming to him. And that's, oh yeah, a and lot of people I, say. And that. I and yeah. I can I can say that if I were Jacques, I would have done the same thing. And that yeah. I can people want to say that I'm bashing my own family. I'm not. I'm just. Telling you how I see it, and Dynamite had it coming to him. That was, you know, when you do something like that or you push somebody's buttons that many times, that's that's what happened. And you know what, Dynamite, he should have let it go, but he unfortunately he didn't. And that's so. Year years later, you know, I, I, I I've seen Dynamite the last couple times I've been over, but yeah. his health has just really deteriorated. Yeah, he's in a he's in a wheelchair, and yeah. Oh yeah, not, he does. I don't even good. think he knows what day it is. You know. He, really? He's that bad. And, and the thing is, speech. you mentioned that about he had it coming to him. And, you know, I remember during that period of time, and, and I've talked about it on several occasions, that it was, it really was old school back then. And you didn't go to the boss and, and say, this guy's picking on me. It was, a, you know, you settled it. Uh, and there was ribbing. I mean, you know, Kurt Hennig was one of the kings of, of ribbing. But some, oh, you know, yeah. in, in many cases, those guys, it was, it was beyond uh, a, a joke. It was beyond the ribbing. It was it was downright cru- downright cruel. Uh, some of the things that they did, and uh, he was he was behind a lot of it. I mean, I heard a ton of stories. I won't even I wouldn't even repeat some of the stuff that you know what I'm talking about. That uh, yeah, but it, it's sad because at that point in time, '88, uh, they were uh, on top of the world. As far oh, as tag yeah. teams went, I mean, really, it, they were just uh, huge. Yeah, no, they were awesome. And g- yeah. getting back to uh, when you said they were doing horrible stuff, I mean, shit, Dynamite used to rip my dad all the time. And I mean, bad ribs. Uh, <laughs> I remember my mom told me a story. She was at WrestleMania three with them, and they were like at the rest, like they, they had kind of 
you would have remembered like the little bit like the after parties there. Yeah. And, yeah. Di- and di- Dynamite tried to drop Halcyon in my dad's drink because the really powerful <laughs> sleeping pill. Uh, yeah. And uh, and he gave my mom a tap when he because he goes, oh, you guys want a beer? I go, oh, you know, sure. And yeah. anytime you get you get offered a beer from dynamite don't drink it exactly. uh, yeah this is and then he gave my i think my mom gave him a tap and he i think he kind of caught on so he when he drank his beer he, he caught the halcyon in his mouth and he turned his mouth like he was gonna cough and spit it out so then dynamite was walking around and he came back and was kind of looking at davy waiting for when he's gonna fade and mm-hmm. he didn't and then he never mentioned anything about it but davy never he said he never asked him or never said oh that yeah. was a good just, just let Good it go girl. like that. But, but Dynamite's probably wondering, like, geez, I wonder what the hell happened. happened. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe this guy's just building an, a tolerance to. Yeah, you accept the drink of somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you accept you know, the drink so. of somebody. You wake up without your eyebrows. So yeah, that, that's yeah. what he would do. Oh yeah, yeah. geez, yeah, yeah. Or, or who knows, worse. But yeah, yeah. So that that was that's. Uh, oh my god! But you know what? Going on about them as a tag team, they were. Amazing. I loved the way Dynamite's, um, the little things he did in the ring. He was never lacking anything. No. And even though he was smaller in stature, the way he presented himself in his body language was uh, really, really awesome. And he, everything he did uh, had a principle and meaning and a purpose. And he was one of the greatest performers, I think, that have, that have ever lived. And I loved his intensity. Um, I actually, I think that he would be his psychology and I think that his timing and pacing would have been better than Chris Benoit's actually. That's just my personal opinion, but yeah. that's for another time. So, yeah, but we, we we're talking about, uh, you know, how your father came back and, and, uh, with the WWE, uh, WWF still at the time and, and, uh, you know, had some really great success, but it took its toll. I mean, at this point in his life, uh, and he'd been doing the steroids for a long time. All of those guys were at the time. Yeah. Uh, that you were taking things to get up. You're taking things to go to sleep. Uh, you were. I don't know how you old you were at this time, but did you see this taking uh, the toll on him, starting to wear him down? You know what? Um, I did because you know because I I because he wasn't really around. He wasn't really home that much at the time, yeah. you know, and also he had been, he was always on pretty good behavior when he would come home. So I didn't actually see or know really much about anything about steroids other than kind of being a little kid and seeing the, the thing with Vince and Bruno San Martino on TV. And I, I didn't really understand it because when I mean, what, what six-year-old kid really would. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really see it. I, the only that when I started to notice it, unfortunately, was about like uh, 1997 or so, mm-hmm. and I and I don't really know what what had happened or what triggered it, but he was into um, he was big into those muscle relaxants called somas, yeah, and uh, and painkillers called Percocets, yeah. So that was when, and I absolutely cannot stand either of those two. I. I, I absolutely hate pain pills. And first off, and from experience, the only time I've taken a Percocet, and I don't even, and I I didn't want to do it, was because of um, I had a really bad tonsillitis, and I wound up getting an abscess, and the doctor prescribed them to me. And I can tell you the pain was so bad that they didn't even work, and I didn't mm. even finish the bottle and threw them away. But I, I hate those things. They I think that they are the absolute 
worst thing any athlete or any anybody can take because when you take a look at and now somas are illegal thankfully but you take a look at the problem is is that when a lot of these wrestlers i think why a lot of them are dropping like flies and crashing is because your heart is a muscle and it's actually the uh i think it's the one of the strongest muscles in your body and mm-hmm. when you're when you're taking a, a a massive amounts of somas your heart is a muscle so it's relaxing your muscle and when you're taking stuff like cocaine that's it's going to speed it up immensely and is a terrible thing everybody should stay away from and then you take steroids which over time enlarges your heart and you put the three together and then all of a sudden one day it just gives out it's not it's not science it's that's that's the combination that is killing people so i didn't really i didn't i didn't notice anything up until about 1997 and that's when his after about 1997 and then going into 1998 was when his uh you know kind of he had a downfall there for a while and then he tried to sort of make a comeback but his biggest problem were those were those pills yeah that's the hundred percent that that's uh people can always point the finger and blame steroids but maybe it was a contributor but i don't think so and the reason why is because there's a lot of these guys like sylvester stallone that's 70 years old or so and he's obviously still taking steroids and he's been not obviously, but he's been caught. He was caught at uh, at the airport or something like that with a huge thing of growth hormone and steroids. Yeah. Now, my, well, my I think question, that it's also a, a combination, though, too, over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my my complaint is, why is somebody like him still alive at 70 or whatever years old when he's been clearly using them for years? And also, not only that, but a lot of these wrestlers, like, they didn't know anything. They were they were abusing them. Like, yeah. if, they're used, if they're used to be healing your body, use it to heal your body. You have to go off it at certain points, but you can't be on it all, all year round, all the time. And that's, you know, that, that's why it's, that's, it's not science. It, I mean, it, it's not rocket science, I should say. It's just the, 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 those combinations. So, yeah, after 97, that's when I saw Davey go down and I, I, I keep far fucking away from any of those pills and all that bullshit. They yeah. do nothing good for anybody except for cause problems and put a band-aid on it that's going to fall off real soon yeah uh you i think you mentioned you were at wembley uh for that summer mm-hmm. slam 92 right yeah i think you were only seven at, at at the time but uh you know there's been uh, brett has talked a lot about that uh that match and uh he tells a story that you know that he wanted this to be you know the greatest match ever to, to put uh, your father over and and that he had tried all summer to to go over this match with him, and that uh, Davy Boy was AWOL and uh, uh, abusing drugs and and just not and not just had kind of dropped out mm-hmm. and showed up to and and, and you can fill in the gaps or the, or whatever uh, your side of the story of the but Brett talks about that they did not uh, have one contact really about that match until the day before. And then they went over this match, and then uh, the next day, and they get in the ring, and I think after the first, uh, they lock up, and uh, your dad says, I'm fucked. But it, regardless of what happened, no one can argue that when you watch that, and I've watched it several times, it, it's it, it's amazing to me. And I watch it differently after I heard you know uh, Brett, and you do see there's points where there's spots where he's saying, but he says like he carried him through that match 
Uh, I don't know. I don't care how you look at that, but that really was one of the most incredible matches I've ever seen. And so I'd love to hear your, your, your side of it, what you have learned over the years, what you found out about it, you know, years after that. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I heard the, the Brett's version of the story. He is, he is, Brett is leaving out a big, a big point of this and I'm not trying to defend Davey in any way, but yeah. what had, what had happened was Davey at the time, he wasn't, he was, I, he wasn't in good shape for Wembley. We'll put it that way, going yeah. into it. But at this point, Vince had got, he had cracked down on a lot of these guys for, um, for drug testing. Mm-hmm. So, so he had, he had gone off and then he was the year and take the air out of the tire. Okay. So the, some things are going to change physically and you could see it wasn't in the greatest shape there, but a couple months before that Davey was wrestling iron Mike sharp and he gave him a running power slam. And there was something when he did the power slam that caused um, an infection on his right knee. Cause he would mm-hmm. always drop down to that right knee right. and he ended up getting a staph infection and he, he, he went to the hospital and then they sent him to emergency because they said that he, he needed – and there was actually one doctor there named Dr. Blackburn. i got to tell you a crazy story about that guy in a second. Okay. But this Dr. Blackburn, he tried out – and this was down right down in Land Lakes, Florida. He tried out all of these different kinds of um, antibiotics. And then he finally had found the right one. And they said that if – and his – and Davey's knee had been turning like almost like a gangrene. Mm. And his skin was flaking off and – I don't know what the hell happened. So anyway, his, his fever was up to like 104 or something like that. And I guess this giant needle he was sticking into his knee and uh, IVing into him. My mom said she passed out from it. So he was, mm. and he was out for about a month with that. Now, when Davey was, I think at that time, uh, he, he was, yeah. So he was, he was out of action with this staph infection for his knee. Yeah, and but I you guys were you a, down and, in Florida? Were you guys down in Florida? Yeah. And, was, and was he home with you? Yeah, he was. He was home with us. But I think that a lot of these guys, when they weren't on the road or when they were yeah. sitting at home, they could yeah. a lot of bad habits could cause up. And especially he wasn't working out because his knee was right. uh, recovering. So apparently he was doing a lot of bad drugs and stuff like that. And I don't know if he didn't understand or know that he had this huge match coming up with Brett at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> and it, what, what it sounds like to me with this knee injury that he was out with, and he kind of went on a bender for a month. And I don't know if he was really just, I, I don't know why he would have done that or, but it, but Brett is leaving out the part about the knee injury and that. And, well, I, yeah. And, and I think that, but that was kind of the official word that he did have this infection. That was what, you know, and so, uh, I don't know if people didn't know that there was some injury involved, but it, you know, however, people are going to say, "Oh, yeah, they just said that," but that was legit. He had. You're saying that he had this really bad staph infection as well to go along with all this. Yeah, and you know, and he, him being at home, they're like, not that that's an excuse, but you're not training, you're not because he could barely walk. He was mm-hmm. probably, you know, and he was probably had some not so good influences at, around him at the time that were supplementing him with stuff, and he probably just uh, wound up going into a bender. But the the match was itself was just unbelievable yeah and that's the thing that's i want to ask you yeah i wanted to ask you though if if that is actually the case that he didn't really get a chance to train that they didn't get any real opportunity to go over this match 
How do you think he pulled it off? Because I told you, I've watched this thing. It, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, and, I don't think he uh, missed one spot. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, and I'm certainly not a trained wrestler, but I've certainly uh, saw a lot of that action then. And I look at that, and I just, it was just amazing. How do you think he did it? Well, you know what? It, it guys back then were were I, I think different different form of workers. I, I'll just put it that way. I'm not trying to insult any of the guys nowadays, but a, a lot of these guys were used to wrestling on the fly. And, and I think that Brad and Davey, they had worked with each other, you know, from Stampede right. and, yeah. and those years in the Hart Foundation and Brett, that they had that natural chemistry. But you know what? It was in back in those days and especially like something like that, like nowadays these guys would be rehearsing and they would practice in a ring at a hotel in a secret room for two weeks and going over this and that. And, and I think that one thing that's amazing about it is everybody was always putting over at that time the – Macho Man and uh, Ricky Steamboat WrestleMania three match, yeah, which right, was which right. was amazing. Yeah, and Ricky will tell yeah, you it was great. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, but the thing was is that Ricky and them, they weren't really. It's not that they were looked down upon or anything like that. But Randy was such a perfectionist that they had gone over that match for like three weeks or something. Yeah, straight. Yeah, and he had it written down on paper, and Ricky's going, Randy, you know, we don't need to. But but for Brett and Davey, they just went in there and they. You know, they didn't. I don't think Davey had even worked the match that all that summer after the wow. Mike Sharp incident. So, I just want to say, I think it's because guys were different then. They they knew how to work on the fly better, and Brett, um, Brett and Davey had that natural chemistry, and it was there live in in London, England. You know, yeah. and and Brett even told, I think Brett, when in his confidence, told Vince, he said, "Trust me, you." If we if you put us on main event, not uh, I think what was it Randy and Ultimate Warrior were supposed to because they they were the yeah world, originally yeah. Ric Flair or something. Yeah. He goes, yeah. we need to be main event. He goes, trust me on this. Don't. Yeah. He said, I will make sure that. And he and they both did. So it was an awesome. Um, and you know, go, going back to that, like talking, I don't want to change subjects here too much, but you're asking me what it was like to be around a lot of these guys. And I remember being around backstage there, and Shawn Michaels, he had worked uh, Rick Martel that night mm -hmm. earlier on. And I guess Shawn had gotten a really nice pair of new tights made, and uh, I can't remember how much they had costed, but they, they might have even had his face spray painted on him, like Ric Flair or something like that. And I don't know who it was, because there weren't so many marks around, but somebody had stolen them, because wow. everybody there was kind of there for two days. Yeah. And they, yeah. you know, to do somebody backstage. And, yeah. yeah. And I remember wow. Sean being really hot about it. So when you watch yeah. the match, he's wearing his normal. And I guess yeah. like even yeah. going to the ring, he was just furious about it. Like, and he, who knows whoever had stolen him. Yeah. And then I remember I was chatting with nails backstage at the time. Uh, yeah. And he was a very nice guy to me, actually. Um, I couldn't believe how soft spoken yeah. he was. And I, I had a Ninja Turtles t-shirt on and he asked me, who my favorite Ninja Turtle was. And it was Raphael. And he goes, yeah, that's my, cause I think he has said he had a son mm -hmm. and he said that Raphael was one of his favorites, but, and I, I, you know, he was a very nice guy, but just talking to a lot of these guys like nails and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, not, not the average thing. Besides trying to strangle doing. Vince. He's a nice yeah. Guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I you know, uh, how huge he was in person too. Yeah. But it's he funny that those memories uh, are vivid still in your mind, but that had to be, uh, 
a defining moment for your father, uh, regardless of how he got to the end of that match. To yeah. be at Wembley Stadium uh, in his country and to have pulled that match off, and he knew he did it. They they knew they did it. Uh, it must have just been I, – I don't know if you ever – because you were still pretty young uh, when you lost him, but uh, did you ever have that conversation that that of what that uh, moment in time meant to him? Yeah, I do. I, you know what? I had asked him about the match, and apart from what we were just talking about, yeah, we never talked much about that. But he he said that he was so nervous going into it, and I don't know if it was something that he was scared he was scared of facing when he was going to do the match, but. He well, said can that, you imagine if he really just fell apart out there in front of that crowd? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, and he and he said that at one point he just grabbed a, a uh, an arm like an arm bar or something like that, and he said that he just completely was like, "Oh fuck, I'm fucked." Yeah, I'm and cool. and then they, they just and then they not went on autopilot, but that yeah. Brett communicated it to him. But you know what? After that match was done, I mean, the whole um, uh. country of England was like on a fl- uh. on a high almost and. Uh. I had we had spent some uh, some days after that in uh, Gullborn after that, and it was almost like not like we were on vacation, but we would go outside and there would be fans waiting for autographs for yeah. him and people yeah. bringing flowers and like the whole like him going, you know, it was it was uh, it was kind of like oh geez, this is like it was because I mean he won stuff before, but him winning it over there in, in front of his home country it was it was a totally different thing. Yeah, and then I remember when we we had come home, and I think that at that point, did they had they aired the Wembley Stadium a week later in the states or something? Yeah, like there that? was yeah there was a, de- a a few day delay on it. Yes. Yeah, and then so I think we had gone back home, and when we had gone back home, they were just they were playing it, and there was another like huge uh, not celebration, but like. Like I remember telling Matt about uh, my cousin uh, and Ted about it on the phone and stuff like that, and they were they were all watching it live in Calgary and uh, not live, but when they, they aired air, aired it. So incredible. yeah, man, it was it was amazing. Yeah, uh, as we moved along here with you were talking in '97, you started to see signs. Uh, you were older, you probably understood a little bit more. Uh, but I, I think you did have a couple opportunities to get in the ring with him. Can you tell yeah. us about that? What did it mean to to actually? work with him yeah for sure you know i i had um i got in the chance to work with him a little bit not as much as i would have liked to have but um we had worked in the ring because jim had his own promotion in florida called anvil productions and he had this big ring set up in his backyard and uh a couple times i gotten to work in the ring with my dad and uh there was another kid at the time that was training there with his dad named roderick strong who's in uh, NXT now. So I, I had been, and he, and his dad was kind of, it was almost kind of like when the celebrity would come into the town, Dave, you would mm-hmm. come in there and give the guys a couple of hip tosses right. and yeah. give them some stuff and uh, advice. And so then uh, by that point, we, I had done some, there's uh, a workout video that's around of my, of uh, my dad's called the British Bulldog workout, whatever. And we had done some chain wrestling and my uncle Ross was in the down in the dungeon with us. Mm-hmm. And it was it was pretty good stuff. Like he was, it was really fun. Like I was only I was only eleven at the time, or ten or eleven. I was skinny, but Davey was getting up there. He was taking hip tosses and arm drags and a, a snapmare and a slam. Like for for how big he was, and I was only really small, but I was 
I mean, what kid, skinny little 10 year old kid isn't, but man, he could really, he could move really fast and, and go up late for stuff. And I couldn't believe it. And I, that's part of what a lot of the business is, is that, uh, you know, knowing how to use your weight and leverage. And, and that was kind of something that he had showed me and taught me at a, at a young, young age, uh, how to go up late for stuff like that. Cause mm. he would have known from years of picking up guys in the vertical suplex, how that they should go up and, and that was what, one of the big things he had taught me. So we had learned um, stuff, and then I would show him, like, some of the Rockyford matches we'd watch back, and then <laughs> Davey would say a couple things, kind of like I'd say now. you go, folks, this is better than some of the guys Vince has now, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. And, uh, and uh, so uh, I got a chance to do a little bit with him just over time. And, uh, but professionally, like in, uh, I, I think in O2 no, or I, we, before we, or no, yeah, never. We, we did in, uh, two December, 2000, we did one, we did one tag match and unfortunately it wasn't for, um, it was for this company called WCEW here in Calgary and it was for the, r- the rival, with. <laughs> but it was stampede. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. it was, it was not the rival company, but a bunch of yeah. guys jumped ship and we had done but just one to be with match. them in, in the yeah. ring professionally must've been, must've been cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and then, and then in uh, Winnipeg, a week before he passed away, we did one tag, and then uh, the next night we did a six-man tag. So those yeah. were the three times I got to, to to do stuff live with him, and it was it was a real experience, you know, like being in the ring with uh, uh well, you know, a real professional like that. He would he would he, he, just the way how you could see him calling stuff in the ring, like mm-hmm. where where nobody could see it, but when you were in the ring with him, you could kind of see it pretty much clear as day yeah. and um and timing and stuff like that and he would he'd say like some like slow down slow down under his breath when you'd be doing a spot in the ring and then he'd okay now and then he'd tag himself in so a lot of the stuff like that you, i got to learn and how to call stuff in between when working holds and stuff like that so yeah and, so, and you, but you, you say you it was right up from, to yeah. yeah, but you you said that it was like a week before that. Uh, so I mean, no one expected uh, it when it happened. Uh, when? How did you find out? When? When was you what, that you first heard that he that he had died? Yeah, sure. Um, so we had come back from Winnipeg, and then when he was when he was there, he said that his uh, he said he wasn't really feeling that good, but he he had said something that his uh, his his bowels were a little bit black, like dark. And then we, he went to the gym and had sort of a so-so workout. But you know what? He did He did the show. And then um, that week he said that he had thought that he had caught the flu. And then I'd seen him. He was supposed to be going out of town to uh, BC. And I was. it was on a Friday afternoon. And actually it was funny. We go back to all this Japanese stuff. Um, I had gotten a video from RF Video called The Best of the Dynamite Kid at the time. And I had gotten it from this... Uh, wrestling shop in winnipeg I, I think that it's long gone but uh my dad did an interview on the radio with this guy he was bringing in all these rf videotapes and so we i had watched some of it and saw like some of the listings because i had lost a lot of these matches of davy and dynamite from japan because he he'd given the videotape to this idiot named joe frockledge and he i don't know what he did with it um lost it but mm-hmm. so i i got to watch some of the matches with him uh at my old house, where old house and Coach Hill, he stopped by and he said that he was feeling sick. But we watched one of his matches with Dynamite, and it was really cool, man. You know, we didn't. And then he said he had to leave, so we watched. I think two of them. They both had the shaved heads at the time, and he was going, "Oh, look, 
man, look at how fast there was then. And, and then he left. And then uh, I had done a battle royal that night in Calgary at this place called Cowboys. And mm-hmm. then I, I had went, I actually went over in it. And then the next day, um, you know, I cannot say that I'm psychic or anything like that. But I've had instances um, where I've had very uh, unusual and maybe bizarre feelings that just come across me. And I don't know necessarily why that they are, but I just didn't feel very good that next day on a Saturday. I don't mm-hmm. know why. And I didn't bother going to the wrestling practice because there was the they had done the battle royal and there was everyone was tired from the show. Just there was going to be the young guys training with Bruce, but none of the more veteran guys. And I didn't really feel well. And then I got the phone call that he had uh, something had happened to him and somebody said that he had choked on some chili mm. and right away. Yeah. And I, and, and right away I was going, this sounds freaking weird. Mm-hmm. Like what, what I was trying yeah. to get answers. And then, uh, and then I, we, we ended up getting about four different things. And then finally we got the news that he had had a heart attack. And then right away I knew that, you know, something was bad had happened and I don't know why, but, or, not that I am psychic, but I've had I've had instances where this has happened. <clears throat> so we went down to my grandfather's house down the hill, and everybody kind of gathered there. And then Brett came later on in the day, and we had a long talk. And but uh, I was really pissed off with um, his girlfriend at the time, Andrea, because we kept getting all these bullshit stories, and I still don't actually didn't actually ever get the full story. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of did because I spoke to the coroner. And uh, did some investigating myself years later, but nothing really other than a heart attack. But I can't tell you what exactly might have happened that night or what that they were doing because nobody would ever give us an answer. And then there was somebody that was trying to say that he had drowned in a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I didn't really – I was kind of mad about things for a long time because I never got a straight answer out of it. And sometimes yeah. that's all that you want is the, the honest truth to, to know. So, um well, and you're like 17 at the time, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah, so you're still really young. And, um, you know, you go through a number of things. I lost my father when I was really young, too. Uh, but uh, did you feel that you were robbed in some ways? This business kind of robbed you of him? Well, not, not necessarily. Um, you know, you can you can go at it both ways. Mm. I, I want to say that, unfortunately, Davies decisions robbed him of that and Mm. that's 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 the only thing i can i can really credit to that and um you know i didn't didn't like the way that things went and a lot of it was bad luck and bad timing but i I wish that uh you know i just i think that if he didn't have his drug problem he still would be around certainly today and and i don't really i don't really blame the business i blame his decisions and that's his that I don't want to sound cold about anything, but that's yeah. that's how I feel. Well, know, so. and it, it is sad. It really is. Uh, at, uh, and and it this business does that. And it's it today they have more uh, things available for these guys to to uh, you know help them. Back then there was nothing, and it was yeah. it, and the way the business was. I mean they they rode you hard. I mean unbelievable. But you're right. There are others who didn't make those choices. And, you know, uh, so you found peace with it, it it sounds like to me. Yeah, you know what? And I, I, um, 
all that I can, you know, all that I can say is I appreciate all the memories and um, the good times with him through the wrestling business and outside of it. But you know what? And it took me quite a while. I got a hold of his, um, I got a hold of a lot of his old wrestling gear. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was something that was important to me, but you know, his, his girlfriend, Andrea, she should have just given it to me in the first place. I don't know why the hell it took uh, years to get it back or what she was planning on doing with it or wanting to sell it who knows but i i you know what and i gotta tell you i've been um i've been offered by so many of these marks and idiots for some fan was offering me three thousand dollars for a pair of my dad's uh union jack knee pads and you know what i told well you understand how the the uh the fever that people have that the oh yeah yeah you know and it's and it's almost a compliment and i yeah yeah absolutely yeah i've told everybody that's ever offered me anything like I've sold my own gear if I don't like it or I don't have use for it. But for my dad's knee pads for $3,000, I wouldn't even sell it for $10,000 because the the yeah, thing okay. is, that's my last, those are my last memories of my father. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I couldn't, I, and a lot of people sell it, but I put, um, I put a different price on stuff like that. And I say that it's priceless and I, I have some of, uh, Owens old blue blazer stuff like that. You can only imagine what some of these guys will offer for, you know, you that. But I, I won't sell it because that's what it means to me. Yeah. And well, if I had it, to, it, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and if I, if I had to, you know, the choice of selling it or going to work at McDonald's and working at McDonald's is the choice. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm not going to sell my gear for enough for anything. So. Yeah. And there's there's uh there's been a lot of grief in that family uh, over the years with uh, so many losses and uh, you know it's it's a t- it's a tough business. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know is. what the the really sad one and it just was a total accident Owen, was Owens. Yeah, 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 you know what I mean. Yeah, and nobody yeah. saw that coming. And uh, God, he was couldn't such have a happened guy to him. Too. Oh yeah, he was funny. He was uh, a hell of an athlete, terrific yeah, wrestler. But yeah. so. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, and I really, I, I also want to talk about your your career with because uh, you, it didn't uh, push you away from the business. You actually have embraced it, and uh, you spent you spent some time in the WWE. I think they first offered you a, a contract what in uh, '04. Uh, I don't know if you 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 took it at that time. Uh, I think you worked in some school there and went to Japan. Uh, yeah, was I that can, your I can... goal? For I mean, uh, why didn't you? snatch that opportunity at the time well uh, you know what and actually sean we can we can backpedal there okay um and i'm not i can only tell you the truth with all this and and i'm not gonna lie so after when davy had passed away yeah vince he wanted to sign me on when i was 17 to Mm -hmm. and be on the road with wwe full-time i don't know what i don't know what the offer was because we we never talked about it, but he wanted at that point, and I don't know what he had in mind or what he wanted to do with me or what, um, but he wanted to sign me like and be on the road. And I think it was lawyers or somebody who had talked him out of it. And I, I can only tell you that that's the hundred percent honest truth. So, and I probably would have taken it. Really? And that's I, I well, yeah, you know, I, I seventeen, yeah. You know, you're, hey, sure, why not? But, but you know what? And I was young then, and I, I kind of not smartened up, but so. Well, you had already been that, in the business for <laughs> at least 10 years. 
Yeah, and yeah, and already. You know, a friend of a friend of mine, he had recommended that I try to go to OVW that summer because they they were running and and for some reason I didn't ask Vince and I think that Vince was sort of expecting me to ask to do something like that and I didn't I don't know why I didn't but mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of smartened up um, to how things are are with WWE and I didn't it wasn't necessarily it wasn't my intention. I didn't really, wasn't really interested in going. And, the, and part of the thing is I had gotten in touch with a guy named Tokyo Joe here in Calgary and who just unfortunately passed this, passed away this year from uh, natural causes, but he was over, he was 75 mm-hmm. and I had been really gotten interested in Japanese wrestling. And, um, at the time I was getting uh, Japanese magazines from Tokyo Joe and he had seen potential in me a lot because I was about, I think I was 17. So I was about, yeah, I sprouted up to about six foot four and I was pretty skinny at the time. So he wanted me to put on more weight and train and with him. And it was his kind of idea that I would, I would train and, and, um, and then go to Japan after that. Mm -hmm. So, and then he said that it would be a good idea. And then, uh, I was, had gotten kind of close with uh, Chris Benoit at the time. And he, he heavily influenced it because, you know, he had, spent time in the new Japan dojo himself and spent time. So it was almost kind of like, well, you know, WWE wants to sign you, but why don't you do this instead? And then when I was, uh, when I graduated, but, but the, but the main thing was, was that, and I think Vince got talked out of this by lawyers, not wanting to sign me when I was 17 was that they wanted me to at least have my high school uh, diploma. And that was the biggest thing. Like I would get a call every once in a while from John Laronitis or, Carl DeMarco and then I'd done I'd done a couple like they they kind of kept tabs on me I'd done um a couple dark matches in Kelowna in the summer 2003 yeah and uh for Smackdown and it was really good it it went really well and then they said okay but you have to get your high school diploma I said okay guys I'm not I'm not gonna drop out of school I'm not oh but you have to get your I said okay and so I got it and then I think they wanted to sign me but I I just wasn't interested in at the time to because I, I love Japan so much because the, the, the offer that they were giving me when I, when I graduated was that I would get a developmental deal. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I ended up going to Japan and I debuted. My first tour was, uh, January, 2005. And, uh, unfortunately there was, it, I wish that for my career, that timing would have been different because the new Japan at this point was going through a real, um, downfall business wise mm-hmm. and i mean they they were really hurting for money like uh they were not almost out of business but they were damn near close yeah and i had broken my hand on my first trip and it was just one of those annoying fluke things but anyway i had done three tours of japan and they had kept offering me to sign me but i didn't really want it that my it, i just wasn't interested to move to louisville kentucky to be to have a developmental deal with WWE, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, to, I mean, to, a, lot, to a, a lot of people, that, that sounds great, but I I just wanted to really explore my options and explore my career with, with um, Japan. So yeah. that's what that was the route I went. And then when, uh, you know, New Japan, they had fired my coach, Tokyo Joe, and they, and they were going through a whole office uh, change. Um, so WWE offered me, uh, I signed a, um, I signed a booking contract, not actually a developmental deal. Cause people say I signed a developmental deal. 
in 2006, I did, and right. I actually signed a booking contract. Mm-hmm. So I had signed that. Which explain that. That's just they, they give you uh, bookings. You're not you're not uh, signed to train with them, and then they bring you up at some point, you know, at different levels, right? Yeah, and, and you know what? It, was, it all sounded great and everything like that, but I, I really wish that Japan, if I was going to it, and I'm not a 100% crazy about what the style's getting like over there, but had it been a little bit different, I would have stayed there until I was about 23 or so and then signed. Cause I, I had signed, I was just, I was only 20 when I had signed and, but the booking contract is, is, um, I signed for 75,000, uh, downside guarantee. Uh-huh. So, um, and then they would use me for so many appearances. Yeah. And then, yeah, they had used me all summer for 2006 and uh-huh. I was getting really great reviews from all the agents. I, I, I don't want to say that I was a teacher's pet with them, but I would, I guess that might be a fair um, assumption, yeah. uh, you know, and then not, not, your that family. Was, not, not that I was a suck up or anything, but I was, I was definitely, I had a very good attitude and, and stuff like that and was learning. And I mean, the amount I was learning, like it was, it was so cool. Like you're on the road for four days and then you come home and then you're watching guys train in the ring. And like, even on my off days, I would go and watch the kids training in the ring and I would give them all these tips and advice. Well, Arn Anderson told me this and they would be kind of almost like in awe, like, so I, it was a really good learning experience. And then they didn't really, I think that they signed me too young and they just didn't really know what to do with me. And I got, yeah, I mean, you made of, appearances, um, you were, you were on, uh, you know, raw and SmackDown and, uh, yeah, and, and you just kind of just floated around it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I, that's the best way to put it. And I, not to say that it, it was, I think it was Vince's best intentions to sign me and he wanted, but I, they just, the timing when I was there was not good. And, uh, you know, unfortunately I'd lost one of my good friends, Chris Benoit that year as well in 2007. And that was a, you know, that was a whole other crazy situation, but, Mm -hmm. but you know, and in WWE, like like I said, I wasn't really crazy about signing with them because, and I guess I can bring this up, but Back when I was about 18 or so, I got in a phone call that we were supposed to receive a $30,000 royalty check uh-huh. from all my dad's back pay. And I said, oh, my gosh, I mean, that would be great because I, I was working Stampede on Friday nights. But, you know, and my mom was working wherever, and, you know, just getting by. Really? And then, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, we, my dad didn't leave us with anything, unfortunately. And that's uh-huh. and like I said, his choices and stuff that happened. But yeah. And then out of nowhere, we called because we were waiting for this check for about a month. Mm-hmm. And then they acted like they didn't know what we were talking about. And then they said something that I couldn't get the check because I wasn't the beneficiary because my, well, my mom had been divorced. And and then we were, I was going, what, you know, like, uh, yeah. so, and then they just pull, totally pulled the rug from out of us underneath us. And then I, I had kind of called them and just said like, you know, like, I don't, if, if you guys weren't going to send me a $30,000 and this was us dollars in 2003 or four. Yeah. I said, then why did you tell me you're going to do it? Like, uh-huh. I, I don't understand. And I said, you know, I appreciate everything you're doing, but this kind of was like a big letdown uh-huh. and, uh, don't bother calling me. I don't want to work for your company. I, uh-huh. I, I called them and my mom had called them and we left it at that for a few months. And then, um, out of nowhere, we got a we got a phone call and says, "Oh yeah, we just want to confirm that this is your address. We are sending that check." 
and we and I kind of went, what the hell? Well, okay. Yeah. And then I, I was even kind of going, yeah, well, we'll see when it gets Ooh. here. Yeah. And then we did. And then I just kind of learned that I don't know if it was a rib on Vince or what the hell it was, but I was really pissed off about it and I never really forgot it. So I knew how I can believe when people say that they're promised stuff by Vince and he doesn't deliver it and why he, or if it was a glitch in the, in the system or the paying system that they have, but I was really pissed off about it. And I did get the money and yeah. it was nice cause I didn't have to work for, and I, and I was, of course I had learned a lot of lessons from, people spending money how to save it and i you know i was very um frugal with it and it lasted Mm -hmm. me for quite a long time so i did appreciate it but i didn't understand why he called and said it was there and we got excited then the next day calling saying well no what are you talking about and this and that so i always kind of knew what he was like so that was a big thing so you're always uh, a little wary it sounds like from that point yeah and Uh. then uh after that i'd done uh I was going in for a dark match and they, they had showed up. It was the day after Benoit was in, um, he had wrestled Hunter and Sean in, in Edmonton for uh-huh. the title. And then they, they were doing Ron the next night. And I showed up there with TJ and he was, uh, he was looking to be signed. Cause he was, I, he would have been geez, 23 or 24 at the time. Yeah. And Steve Regal and these guys were all going, okay, both of you guys bring your boots. And Benoit's going, Harry, you know, bring your stuff tomorrow. we, We'll do the squats and make sure TJ's there. Both both you guys, we want to take a look at you. We're, we're going to give TJ a dark match. And we want to, I said, okay, we were all excited. And I was going, geez, you know, this is going to be awesome. And when was this? And what this year was, was this? 2004, uh, May of 2004. Oh, okay. So, yeah, all right. I and and I, was, I was still in school at the point at this yeah. time. So I took the day off and I went down there. And then all of a sudden I go to go to the back. And then they go, no, only Harry's allowed back here. Uh, Harry Smith, he's on the list. And it says here specifically, no one else. And I was going, what about my, what about TJ Wilson? Nope, nope, nope. And I came to the back and I was going, and I showed up really like pretty early, like noon, like whatever what call hell? time is that. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going like, what the fuck? You know, like TJ was told to, we're supposed to show up with their gear and you better both, both be there. Don't be late. This and that. Okay. We're showed up. So I walked around and then all of a sudden I see like, and I don't know if it was because Vince didn't want any of the hearts back there or wh- what the deal was. I wasn't going to be bringing back anybody there. Then they should have known that. And then I see some of these like, the uh, not jobber types, but guys in Stampede that were been hanging around for years that were, and I was going, so you're going to let these guys come to the back and not TJ because mm-hmm. Vince doesn't want any of the hearts. So I just found out, I went and saw and I said, and it, I didn't see my name on the list. And it was like nobody seemed to talk to me. I wanted to talk to John, and he was busy, and I wanted to find out if I could get TJ back there because he was all excited. Yeah. So I, so I said I'm gonna leave. So I left there, and I, I, I said, fuck it. I'm, hey, I'm busy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not yeah. that I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave, but, and it, and it was the end of May. I was, I was busy with high school. I had a lot of. I was a smart student. I had. Um, exams to study for. So I went back and I worked out and then I went to the afternoon classes and I was keep getting these phone calls and Carl DeMarco and John's trying to call my mom and my stepdad Gordy and this and that going, where's Harry? He's supposed to have a dark match with Chuck Palumbo, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then they thought that, that they thought that I didn't want to show up because I didn't want to work Chuck Palumbo or something. So I, <laughs> right. and then, and then they said, well, can he come back? And I just told him that and I gave him the honest answer. I said, no, I said, you didn't let TJ back there. He's my friend. I came to the back. I felt like I wasn't wanted. 
and I have school to do. You, you, that was, that's the thing, right? We, yeah. You guys want me to get my high school diploma, so I didn't waste time. I went and got a workout in and, and finished my afternoon classes. Then after that, went back to the arena after the show, like towards the end of the show. And, you know, everybody was kind of looking at me funny, and Sergeant Slaughter was kind of giving me the scowl. I said, well, whatever. You know, I said, hey, I didn't know. I, you know, I would have gotten a decent little payday for working Chuck, but I didn't know I was going to work him. And yeah, I just told him. To you. Yeah. And, and then yeah. I had been trying to call Benoit all morning going and, and Benoit wanted to, he was promised us to like, things were different then. Like me and TJ, we were trying to get backstage Sunday there for the pay-per-view and Benoit was claiming that, I don't know if it was because of his head trauma or what at the time that he uh, was going to let us backstage and he wanted to see us maybe roll around in the ring and we were waiting around like a couple marks outside the Rexall Center, whatever it is in Edmonton. And then finally, the Brooklyn Brawler came out to, I don't know what he was doing, running an errand and going, hey, Harry, oh, yeah. Well, I can let you in, but it's only you two, right? Because I don't know what their deal is with the hearts. So I came backstage and I saw Chris going, oh, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. And I said, okay. And then See? the next day when he did that, and then I had seen Chris after the show and he had, it, it was funny because not that I had like a big pull in the company or anything at that point, but a couple of people, I think even TJ saw Chris's face and he was going, Harry, can I talk to you, man? He looked like he was going to cry. He goes, is everything okay? I said, yeah, but you know, you were, he goes, oh, you shouldn't have left, man. I, you know, I was trying to call you. I said, yeah, but you're trying to call me like way late in the afternoon. I said, I had to go back to school, Chris, you know, I, I'm busy. And I said, I just felt like I wasn't wanted here. And and uh, I didn't see my name on the list because I didn't. I literally didn't. I didn't. And I said I didn't want to hang around because there's guys that have been trying to come in for enhancement jobs and they're being let in the back. But my friend TJ that's been working hard in New Japan and, and you guys said specifically to come and then you didn't let him. And I'm a little bit stubborn sometimes, but I said, no, it's yeah. this. And he's, and, and he's <laughs> going, well, you know, uh, we're really sorry. And so after that, I just said, ah, kind of like, no thanks to these guys and then years late a couple of years later i had a dark match with uh, this guy named george king in edmonton that really it was a real stinker of a match but there was steve kern's idea for me to do the running power slam and then yep. george would put his feet on the ropes but the referee would count for three and i think i'd won and then he would roll me up and the whole finish was so confusing yeah. and, and lousy and you don't need it for a, a dark match but i got I got blamed for it like afterwards and Steve was, and as much as I like Steve, he, maybe he didn't know, or maybe he was kind of scared to show his face after, but he didn't. And I, I told John to go and talk to him cause he was mad that I did the running power slam, not as my finish. I said, John, you're, you wanted him to win, which I, and I think they were testing me. They wanted to see how I, and I, and I know from being in the business, you just totally no sell it. And he rolled me up and we were all out of, uh, out of range from the ropes and he was trying to hook my tights and the match was just lousy. And yeah. I just was going, man, why would I want to sign here when I could? And at that time there was still the developmental deal, but I, right. I got offered the, the booking contract when I was about six months later. And John was really, really high on hiring me, but I, I like John a lot. We still talk. He's one of the only people I talk to in the company. Yeah. But, but I mean, fast forwarding here though, and it ended uh, to Oh nine and, and the heart dynasty, uh, and you had yep. TJ there, and uh, uh, was that a good run? I mean, for what, I mean, you guys won the Unified Tag Team Championship. I mean, you were you know Big Show and and the Miz and Cody Rhodes and Drew McIntyre. I mean, that uh, it was a short, it wasn't long long run, but was it 
a good run uh, from when you look at what you did uh, during that time with the WWE. Yeah, certainly. You know, and I think that um, it was it was a huge like it was a like the oh, I can't remember if we were we might have even been in Phoenix. You know what? When we won the titles, I think yeah. it was uh, from from the Big Show and Miz. Yeah, and uh, both you know Big Show's uh, he's really awesome to work with. Um, yeah. Very nice guys open the suggestions. He's very light, actually. And um, so anyway, the the amount of uh, the atmosphere was just crazy when we finally uh, won the tag team titles. And I remember I didn't know I was winning them until that day. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was really cool because a lot of times nowadays they they know from a long time ahead. Yeah. And they're told. But uh, I was just like kind of going like. Oh my gosh. So I was calling friends up and I, I of course believe in kayfabe still. I just ca- I called up my cousins going, Oh, we have this big match with big show and Miz and Hey, please watch it. Wink. You know, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. We, we have, we have lots of time tonight or something. We, we yeah, have uh-huh. two minutes tonight. We got 10. So that was, that was great, but they could have, um, they could have used us a lot better. And the, the point I'm trying to make here is that I didn't like the way we, we were used because I felt that we were always used kind of cowering and hiding behind Brett and they were really pushing this Nexus group at the, at the time. And it looked like we were kind of, uh, not intended to get over. And I think that there was some people in high up in the company and I can't really specify who, but had some vendettas against my dad or against Brett. And I think that was one of the reasons why it wasn't pushed <clears throat> the way that I feel it was. And one of the things that I wish that TJ and I could have been granted, although we were given it, was more time to work with Sean and Hunter because of the natural feud that there is between, you know, Sean with the history with Brett. And all that we really got was that we got one short tag match from Hershey, Pennsylvania against them. And then we got the tag team title match when they were champions on SmackDown. But at that point, around that time, I think it was Bret Hart. And I'm not talking about my uncle, Bret. There's a guy in the office named Bret Hart that lives, he used to work there. Yeah. And I think he, he had told us that they had been promoting or what th- for their upcoming live events was all supposed to be Hart Dynasty versus DX for that um, leading up until that, that Christmas, because it was a, a Christmas day when um, we lost to them on SmackDown. And and we were excited about it because not only but working with guys like Sean and Hunter, those guys are awesome. They're world class professionals, and I mean, Sean got to work with my dad. And I don't know why it got pulled or what ha- what had happened, but even guys like the Spirit Squad, who I think that they're all good guys, and they some of them turned out to be really great workers. Yeah. But they got to work with Sean and Hunter for like six months straight when they were doing that DX versus um, Spirit Squad thing. I just wish that I had gotten the opportunity to work with, with guys like Sean, like on a regular basis. Cause guys like Brett and Sean, a lot of it is when you're there, it's not about how great of a worker you are. It's about who you're working with to, to make the match and how you can get better from improving from guys that are better than you. And I don't think that Brett would have ever gotten to where he was at if he was used the same way that I was used with, uh, with TJ. And certainly I know Brett actually talks about it in his kind of funny but he said that after he won first won the wwf title he said that his first live events matches were against nails and he thought that it was somebody was ribbing him or somebody was but he uh, he had years of being able to work with great guys like Shawn michaels and stuff like that 
And that's all that I really wish for. And I wish that I got have gotten an opportunity on TV to work more with guys like John Morrison and, and Christian and Fit Finley, which I really love those guys. But my opportunities to do stuff with them on TV were slim to none. But every time I worked with those guys, like there's one match from Superstars with me and John Morrison from from Calgary, excuse me, and we tore the house down. Yeah. And we were first on the show, and the crowd was hot for me. And I remember Vince really putting it over, and everyone's going, well, Vince really liked it. And he's going, hey, good job, kid. And yeah. then it's like the next day, the next week it's completely forgotten about, and we're losing the crime time again. So yeah. it just I, I just wish that things were were differently and we were used differently in, in that sense. But uh, the, as far as the tag team run went, I really enjoyed um, traveling with TJ and Natty, certainly, you know, when you're – traveling with your own family like that yeah right. it makes things a lot easier and uh you know natty she's she's awesome and tj's awesome and you know a lot of and i like i said the raws are longer now so the guys have more time but tj and i we really we tore the house down every night with guys against guys like drew mcintyre and cody yeah against the usos i mean even against crime time we had a lot of great matches with them on the house shows and live events and I just wish that we could have shown more of that on TV, not just the the, the shorter matches. And and you know, the part of the problem is Vince doesn't really have much. He doesn't really see much for the tag team division. Like we were the only tag team titles. Like our title, our titles were the only ones that were not defended on a one SummerSlam that Brett worked on. Yeah, I think it was the one from Vegas or uh, Los Angeles. So. But so you know is what? that? And, and, I'll, it, and I'll go. And I'll I'll go one more thing. Just yeah, sure. Both of my experiences working at Madison Square Garden were my best in WWE, or some of my best, because my first one, TJ and I, we had split up, and then we opened Madison Square Garden up at a house show, and we had an awesome match. Like just like I think we went about twelve minutes, and uh, John really loved it. And then my next, you know, great memory from there was. Um, or that happened before that was the Bret Hart appreciation night. Yeah. And it was me, Brett and TJ versus the Nexus. Well, and then to work Brett with them. with the sharpshooter. Cool. Yeah. And you know what? Being able to watch Brett in their life. Yeah. Even after the stroke and everything was, was great. So, yeah. Uh, are you still, are you close with him? Uh, have you always been, uh, I mean, uh, with your uncle? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, I am, um, uh, I got to see Brett not too long ago. he, he had a, he's been having an issue with his hand and his wrist yeah. uh -huh. and he had a botched surgery and I, I won't get into that, but I, I've always been pretty close to Brett. Um, I would say he was always, Brett was a little bit always more around than Owen was. Uh -huh. And I'm not sure, I, I can't really specify why that is, but uh, I have to say Brett's advice has always been very, it's always been very good and very solid. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, not to put myself over, but a lot of my psychology and my wrestling comes from Brett mm. and he, he always has good advice and good, always his, his philosophy or psychology always makes sense. And it's always good and solid. And actually that was one of the things he's put me over quite a few times and said that he thinks that I'm one of the best workers out there. Just nobody knows it yet. And he said, you might not even know it yourself. And I said, yeah. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that coming from him. And he has no reason to be blowing smoke up my ass or anything. I'm just, I'm his nephew, but he wouldn't tell me um, if he didn't think so. So, yeah. so I, is that I door still open? Is the uh, you're 32 now? Yeah. Uh, with the WWE, I don't know what the relationship is at this point, but 
You know what? Um, my answer to that, and I got to say, is I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure because um, part of it is not that they don't, uh, they've expressed interest in me and wanting to bring me back. Uh, part of it is just where where I kind of want to go next. And um, I've actually wanted to um, have a big singles run in Japan. Of course, I love the tag team with Lance and it's been working and stuff like that. But um, I would like to, if I were to go back, I would certainly want to have a singles, like a big, like not just, oh, uh, he won some singles matches, but a good long singles uh, run over there and win a title. And that, that, that's one of, and, and I'm trying to think because one of the things that I try to accomplish now is more like time management and what can we do as far as short-term goals. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was actually the one of the owners of Honda, one of his big successful things was he would do little, not meaningless things to improve his life every day, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't ever think too far ahead. He would think of what's the next step. Not we're thinking about what's at the top of the pyramid. So not not to say that I'm not interested in going back. I just don't know if it would be a good thing for me because I, I don't really know. I don't really know if the WWE really was a good place for me to go. And I, yeah. I can't, I can't, um, I can't say that it's not out of the question. But I have my reasons why I wouldn't want to yeah. go back. And that's and and of course, I think they want me back for uh, my dad with the Hall of Fame and stuff like that. And I don't think that they're gonna put my dad in the hall of fame until I would go back. But, mm. uh, I'm really enjoying a lot of things outside of wrestling. Like, I, like we were mentioning, I've been getting back into doing my jujitsu, my grappling. Um, every day I'm trying to learn how to speak Japanese and one of my, yeah, you like Japan. Yeah. I love Japan. And, mm. and I, I actually love making Japanese food and, um, I make a lot of different, I've gotten into making sushi and stuff like that. But one of my long-term goals is i want to be able to learn and speak japanese because i love japan so much i want to maybe get into another kind of business when wrestling's done in japan yeah. Yeah. and i'm not sure what what that is but you have to know the language and you have to learn how to read it and write it and speak it and i would one of my things is i wouldn't mind um because i know a lot of the holds from from judo which are in japanese a lot of the submission holds mm. so i've thought about maybe after my career's done doing commentary for japanese for mixed martial arts that's one of my that's one that's this is long term but until then i i my goals because when progression is everything in life and motion motion is life so you have to always my psychology and my philosophy is to better yourself every single day to make little improvements even if they're just small ones like to towards getting to the the final goal it's and it's not just a destination it's a journey and, and the business what, is good over there it is you know yeah. um you hear I a lot love, about it these days yeah you like, like and, you said the yeah. the tokyo dome event this year was awesome my match yeah. was great um i loved it and uh you know i i kind of wish that japan was like it was in the 80s just because of how hot it was i mean guys over there i've were making well com- in comparison to what the dollar was like over there Back in those days, huge and huge amounts of money, and mm. the Japanese culture is really fun. I love Japan. They they have the the um, <clears throat> smallest crime or <clears throat> excuse me, smallest crime rate uh, uh, right in the world. You know, mm. and th- yeah. their people are very nice and respectful. So I I love Japan, and I would honestly, I would like to. If it was up to me, I would rather stay there. That's mm. that's 
that's where I've uh, had the most success, and that's what I love to is do. Is that so. where that we'll see you next? Are you going to head back there, or you don't? Uh, yes, I, I, yeah. I'm heading back. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in March for the um, uh, New Japan Cup. It's a singles mm-hmm. tournament, yeah. so um, I'm excited about going over there. I'm actually looking at getting some new ring gear. Uh, made I've met a, a guy in Calgary here that does some airbrushing, and uh, I liked a lot of ravishing Rick Rude's old tights. Oh a lot yeah, of the detail and stuff. <laughs> so I'm not going to go to that extent. But uh, yeah. I, you know, I like to I like to experiment and play with different oh. things and stuff. So cool. I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try that. But I'm gonna be heading back to uh, to Japan then, and in between then, just gonna be training hard and um, and I have my trip to England next month. So. Awesome. Hey, uh, we, whenever we put these up that, you know, who are going to be uh, talking with, uh, we get a bunch of questions. I'm not going to be, get to all of them, but D, if you can take a couple of minutes here and just answer some of these questions that we've got from some of the, some of the uh, fans out there. Andrew Beerbrowers says, apparently, Harry does amazing wrestling impressions. Is that true? Do you have any uh, favorites? And can you, could you give us a couple <laughs> of samples? Sure. Um, so I'll go back to this. Uh, this is really funny. So we were like, when I was traveling with TJ, we were down in Puerto Rico yeah. and you know, when we're, we're talking on the bus, we're, uh, talking at the hotel and I had done a Mike Rotundo impersonation and uh-huh. he goes, Whoa, he goes, he started laughing. And then, uh, Natty goes, well, that's really good. And then that turned into me all of a sudden impersonating all of the agents except Uh-oh, for, the- uh, yeah. That the, the, the or I'm excuse me. They are called producers now. Um, <laughs> oh but, come on, but, let's we call them agents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so what I knew them as too. Come on, police and, producers. And it, and it became <laughs> uh, it almost became kind of famous backstage. Like, uh, like it was always kind of known amongst them, but I would never do it in front of them. And uh, all right, and let's, let me let me throw a couple at you, okay? Because for agents, uh, do you do a Rene Goulet? Oh, I couldn't do any of those guys because I, oh. I was too young. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, had I been able to, or when I was around, but it was, you know, it was really funny. Cause I was, I, I was getting famous for doing them. And then Ricky Steamboat came up to me backstage yeah. and then he's got his dip in his mouth and we're watching the monitor. He goes, he goes, Hey Davey, he goes, what is this? I hear you can, you can do me he kind of <laughs> raises one eyebrow. Uh-huh. I said, Oh, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, Aaron was saying that you can imitate me or something like that. I, like, I, I don't know. What what do I do? And he looks at me again. I go, oh, I said, Ricky, you know, I was through the arm drags and the high cross body off the top and the chop off the ropes and working on the skin, the cat. And he kind of chuckled it off. And he, he he knew I was up to something. Right. So we were all at this place called Calhoun's in Boston. And uh, every all the wrestlers would go there after the show to eat. And the, the guy there is super nice. And we, you'd only have to pay a $20 tip for food and drinks and that. Mm-hmm. So all the agents were sitting around. And and then Arn, <clears throat> I hope I can still do Arn because I've been talking for quite a while. He goes, hey, Bo Puppy, I want to hear some of these uh, impersonations you got. Take a seat right here. So I take a seat. And then I sit down. And then I start doing Arn, and then because um, Arn would always talk about he would get on these big long rants in the ring when you, and they were very informative rants. I'll oh, say yes. that much that you know about uh, you know you want to be a fucking heel, be a heel, get eat, be malicious, <laughs> do some 
that's just fucking dirty. <laughs> that people, they get sick to their stomach and they say, fuck that guy. And I kind of gave him that look. And then he goes, he goes, that's, that's the funniest shit I've ever heard. He goes, oh, he goes, do some more. And then I, I was doing Ricky and Ricky would always be talking about, he'd, he'd give you, Ricky would give you almost kind of like those, uh, oh, like those uh, guidance counselor chats after your match mm-hmm. or like a, mm-hmm. like a camp scout counselor. You know, he'd be very in depth and, you know, Davey, you had a moment out there. You raised your arm and you pulled it away. You should have kept it up, circled all four sides so that everybody in the arena can see that. Some that body language I used to do with Savage, Flair, it speaks volumes. <laughs> and how you get sympathy is all from the cell. You know, he would go into these big, long talks and very serious you want to and it's all you use these holds as bridges to your spots and kind of his eyes would light up and i was doing this and the agents were all laughing and and, uh and ricky was just sitting there and he was i could see he was red at the face and 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 it was funny because i i put my tongue under my lip like i had in my mouth and And Ricky had, and I saw him quickly pull it out. (laughs) And then then they were all laughing. And and Ricky goes, I don't do that. And I goes, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And then then I got into Mike Rotundo. And uh, it was really funny because it's like, what does Mike Rotundo do, you know? And even even his son came up to me. um, uh, Not Bo, Mike, uh, uh, excuse me, Wyndham, Mm -hmm. the one that Ray Wyatt. And he goes, he goes, I heard you can imitate my dad. He goes, (laughs) He goes, that's so cool. But he's like, but my dad doesn't do anything. Like, what does he do? And then I imitated him to his dad, and he was laughing. He thought it was hilarious. And we would, um, Mike would always be our agent for a lot of these matches against Crime Time and some of these guys. Yeah. And uh, and Mike was Mike was always very. He was a good agent. He was very. He was always very safe. Like, he would come up to us like he'd be watching, and we'd be up next, and we'd be watching the monitors backstage. And then it would be like some because Mike was a pretty laid back guy, but all of a sudden you would see him sometimes move really fast. And he'd come up, you go, "Hey guys," and he'd have to dip too. And Mike, uh, Vince is really big on guys grabbing holds tonight, so you're out there. Make sure you grab your hold, but face the hard cam. He's he's going really nuts. Don't want you to be in trouble. And then he walked back up, and we come to the back after, and he'd be like. You know, it was, it was pretty solid, but make sure, you know, because they were really pushing holds at this point, like uh, working holds and, yeah. you know, and he'd be, and he would tell you like, cause every, every match Mike would work when he was a heel. Usually he would work that abdominal stretch and he'd grab a hold of the rope mm-hmm. and the, the referee would catch him. He, you know, back in my day, I would put an abdominal stretch on a guy and just to get heat, I'd grab a hold of the top rope. And then the referee would be uh, checking the baby face. He'd come back around, and I let go of the rope. And you know, all the little kids in the front row would tell the ref I was grabbing it. But it was just something to think about, you know. <laughs> Instead of working a working a chin lock, you could work a, work an abdominal, and 
use if you got Tyson, you got kid on the outside, instead of pulling the rope, you could pull his arm. You know, just get your get your heat from that. Something to think about. You know, some something <laughs> to think and he'd always raise his eyes to something to think about. Think. Oh, that's funny. And, do you do your uncle? Do you do Brett? I can't really I can't really, really do him, but yeah. uh that Canadian fit, fit, fit Finley, he was kind of hard to get. Like, uh, oh yeah, and then I remember one time Jamie Noble came up. And I could kind of do him, but he his voice was pretty high pitch, and he he would always him and Mike would always go back and forth with each other. And Jamie was our agent for one week of shows, like on a raw, and then he and then Mike was our agent the next week. And then Jamie came up to us, he goes, "Hey Mike, hey Mike, guess what? Reckon Hearts over here. They Vince said that they're." Their match was the best match of the night. Oh, because I was aging. Yeah. He'd have this laugh. Yeah. What do you think about that, Mike? And he'd kind of be punching his stomach. And he goes, don't you got some work to do? Uh, yeah. yeah, all right. <laughs> Just saying. See, you can beat that one, Mike. And he'd walk off. And uh, and then uh, Fit, he, his was kind of harder, but he was he didn't really – he would just – but Fit was very honest. Like, you'd, he'd, you'd ask him about something. Well, you know, like, match was okay, but, you know, you guys need to be, like, really aggressive with crime time, you know? Like, to get your heat, you need to, like, beat the living daylights out of them and don't sell too much. And they can get all their stuff on the back end, you know? You don't want to be selling for them too much at the beginning. When you do your shit, you lay it in and, you know, so... His clothesline today was rotten, bleeping rotten. Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't really swear. He wouldn't say yeah. f, and he's like, he was bleeping rotten. You know. You do any of the standards when you're growing up? I mean, did you do Dusty? Did you do Randy? Did you do any of those guys? Well, no, but I could, I could do a pretty good John Laurinaitis, you know. <laughs> and uh, I remember there was one time uh, John was down there. Actually, John, he could really make me laugh with some of his. Um, like he, he could be really, I could see him be really nice to people. And some guys he just, and he actually had given Dory Funks, a couple of his students, uh, like he actually sat down and watched their, their match. And these guys, I don't know if they just, they weren't very good. And the one guy he was wearing looked like a pair of Dory's old, like yeah, Dory might get mad that I'm saying this, but I'm not trying to insult him. Just, <laughs> they were two, they were two of Dory students that weren't yeah. Dory's best students. I'll put it that okay. way. Right. And John, and John wanted him out of his pants. He wanted him in trunks and, <laughs> <laughs> so they just found somebody's trunks and put them on this guy. And then John watched it. And then he's like, he's like, okay, guys, I want to ask you something here. Why would, um, like, why, why should I sign either of you two? Tell me why. And then they kind of said whatever. And John goes, like, how can I make any money with you guys? I, I don't get it. You know, like, like you over here, you look like you're wearing a diaper your selling wasn't very good. You missed him on that drop kick, and you know if some misses, you don't bump. Fuck, if I did that in Japan, I would have been fired. You know, just I don't know. What'd you think about it, Steve? And then Steve went off. And then I remember one time there was there was one guy he was trying to get signed, and he this guy must have been there for oh geez twenty years, showing up at Raw TVs in Omaha or wherever it was, yeah. and he came up to Johnny and wanting a job and wanting a dark match or wanting and then johnny goes okay let me ask you something he goes what would you give yourself out of 10 as far as being a worker he goes 
Well, I give myself about a seven. So, well, maybe and then you kind of give him a look. He goes, I give myself an eight. And Charlie goes, eight out of ten. There's no. And then Charlie goes, there's no way. There's no way you could be an eight out of ten. Fuck, I give I give Shawn Michaels an eight out of ten. You're saying you're as good as Shawn. <laughs> but but you could tell that Johnny was just saying that to this guy because even if he said, well, I'm a five out of ten, he go, yeah. Well, if you're a five yeah. out of ten, why would I want to hire you? How can I make money with you? There's there but, was no right answer. No, no. Yeah. And uh, but uh, but Johnny, he thought my impersonations were hilarious, and I did, yeah. I did them all at the. Uh, I don't know if you had them when you were there, but those production meetings. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then he he was laughing, and well, that's great, kid. Oh, blah blah blah. And then he would go, like I I could go on, and everybody has their own Johnny impersonation. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you know, I think that yours is the best. Don't you think so, Pat? Well, yes, I certainly do. Oh, I've never seen anybody imitate Mike. You didn't show him that yet, did you, or whatever? And then, mm. but um, but yeah, I, 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 those were all the guys. But yeah, I, awesome. I, when my throat is better, I could do, uh, I could do Arn pretty good. I remember another time Arn was we were, we were uh, in London actually. We were having some Cosmopolitans, and he was talking, and then uh, Rosa Mendez was there, and then she started to play with his hair and fluff it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Arn just looked back at her and he goes, Rosa, what you doing there? She goes, I'm playing with your arm, with your hair, Arn. It's so soft. Have, have you been, you know, using Rogaine or something like that? And he, goes, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, what do you mean? I don't got any hair. And she goes, well, what's this? And she starts pluffing it up. He goes, I call that you trying to coax me into a hard on. And she goes, oh, Arn, stop it. And then he goes, well, don't stop. So, bull, bull puppy, where was I anyway? Yeah. Well, I tell you one thing about fucking doing the business, and he would just go off into a a big long rant about, you know, whatever it was that. And uh, but yeah, he was Arn was Arn was always comical, and everybody has their own Arn impersonation too. But um, but yeah, Arn was great. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Andrew Bierbrauer brought a. A different side to this, certainly some prime time extra there. But Harry, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, some great stories about your dad and also uh, your journey. And uh, like I said, I think you've got uh, uh, quite a bit uh, ahead of you as well. And I, I hope you'll come back on. And, and uh, where can folks uh, catch you? I, I think you said you're going to be in England, and because you know we got people listening from around the world. So uh, where are you going to be, and how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, for sure, certainly. Um, they can follow me on Twitter at uh, DB Smith Jr. And I'm also on Instagram at the same thing, DB Smith Jr. for all my updates. Um, they can also follow me as far as wrestling goes on uh, newjapanworld.com. And uh, once they get a membership, they can just search my name up there. I wish that um, some of my matches were on YouTube from Japan, but I, I do understand that they have their policies and stuff and they want people to watch new Japan world. That's why they've taken off a lot of stuff from there, but that's the, that the best ways to uh, follow me. Um, yeah, certainly next month I'm going to be at super clash Two, February 18th in Cheltenham, England. And, uh, I'll be available before the show and after for autographs and merchandise. And then after that, I'm heading back to Japan, March the 5th for the new Japan cup. And, um, Thank you very much for having me on the show. It was, it was really good, and I'm glad that, um, 
you know, I got to show off my impersonations because I've actually been asked that a few times from fans. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of becoming a, a little bit famous for it, but <laughs> it's always, uh, it's always therapeutic to laugh. And, and, uh, unfortunately it's, I, I can't do, I can't imitate a lot of the wrestlers, but wrestlers that know all of these agents that have dealt with them, I'm sure that they're going to laugh at it because <laughs> they know that's exactly the kind of stuff that they would say or their experiences with them. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very good interview. I'm, I'm glad to be on, um, Sean, thank you very much for having me. All right, man. And I, uh, uh, have a great time on your travels and, uh, we'll have you back here on primetime. Harry Smith, uh, Davy boy Smith, Jr. A lot of you uh, know him as, but, uh, carving his own way, uh, in the world of professional wrestling and part of that tremendous family. Harry, thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you very much, Sean, and uh, thank you to anybody that was listening, and uh, hopefully you can do it again soon. All right, man. Take care. All right, you too. All the best. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Harry Smith, a.k.a. Davy Boy Smith Jr. Uh, I mean, come on. He is really a fascinating individual. Still, you know, trying to make his way in the world of professional wrestling, spending a lot of time in Japan these days, paying his dues. And uh, as you mentioned, he's very into the martial arts. I wonder if he's going to be one of those guys that crosses over, tries uh, MMA or something like that. Yeah, you never know. Uh, you know, it sounds a little strained right now between Harry and the WWE, as he talked about. But one thing we have all learned with Vince McMahon and the WWE, what is it? Never say never. And I would not be surprised to see him back one day. You know, I, I, I don't know if you were as well, but I, I'm telling you, I was enthralled by what Harry had to say about his father you know, the relationship that he had with him uh, and how he's dealt with his loss, uh, you know, and, and, you know, with these superstars, a lot of them were never around. They're, they're the missed, these missed childhoods with their dad and then with their fathers. And, uh, you know, then he loses them when he's in his late teens. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. And, and you imagine trying to uh, step out from that uh, gigantic shadow left from his father, Davy Boy Smith. A great conversation with Harry, and I would uh, love to have him back with us. Okay, before we wrap it all up, I want to remind everybody uh, that we have a brand new Twitter account. It is Primetime Mooney, at Primetime Mooney. And as soon as I sign off here, please get on Twitter and follow us, at Primetime Mooney. Did I say that enough? And of course, you can email me at uh, primetime at mlw.com. It's primetime at MLW.com. All right. I think you got it. Also, uh, I have that Coliseum video of WrestleFest 90 that I found in Sean's garage in a box uh, that has been uh, hermetically sealed, as they say. But these things are still in great shape. It's uh, WrestleFest 90, a Coliseum video, a WWF wrestling extravaganza that I'm going to give away. To get in the running, all you have to do is go to Facebook. Uh, go to Primetime with Sean Mooney, the Facebook page. And then if you don't, if you haven't liked us already, like us and then find that post and, and uh, post a comment. Then we'll have your name and we're going to randomly select a winner. I will sign this if you want me to. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, you want to keep it as a collector's item and keep it as shrink-wrapped. That's fine, really. And as I uh, have told you before, I don't care where you are in the world. I will make sure this tape gets to you. I will send it to you. All right? Very good. Now, next week, 
we're going to have a guest on, and he is somebody that you either love or you hate. Not much in between there when it comes to this individual. Vince Russo will join me on Primetime with Sean Mooney. And no matter what you may think of Vince, as I said, if you love him, if you hate him, you cannot deny that the man made a huge impact on changing professional wrestling during the 90s. No doubt about it. And sports entertainment was changed forever and guaranteed you're going to enjoy this conversation. I know he's appeared on a lot of different podcasts, but as always, it's always a different conversation with me. Also, please check out our great sponsor, folks. Podcasts are not produced for free, and we want to keep them that way uh, for you. And in this case, it is a win-win. If you love to go to live events, SeatGeek is the way to do it. Just download the app, and you will be just a few finger taps away from getting the best seats at the best price. No doubt about it. That's SeatGeek, and best part about it all because you're one of my listeners, you get that very special deal. Just download the SeatGeek app onto your mobile device, whatever it may be, and enter the promo code PRIMETIME. That's promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And that's going to do it for this edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm out. Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related health care to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G.